Hello, welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts and joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, how are you doing? This is the last regular pod of the year and then you and I are taking a little break. People on the free feed, they're getting a little Patreon sampler next week and people on Patreon are getting our best TV shows of 2022 and then we're having a bit of time off. Are you excited about your time off? Oh, incredibly excited. I'm going to sit yeah. on a couch not think about video games or play video games and not have thoughts about them, um, mm. which is always a nice way to consume video games. Hopefully read some books if people have adhered to my very clear instructions on my gift list, um, <laughs> but we, we shall see. Okay, good. Yeah, I, uh, I hope they do for, uh, for your sake and their sake. Um, <laughs> but uh, what is on your, your, your list? Uh, oh, can you share such things? A lot of, a lot of crime fiction. Um, yeah which would be unsurprising to you. The problem I have is that there tends to be a couple of things I really want. And then I think, well, I better pad this list out uh, with other ideas to make it easier. And then I worry, well, what happens if people pick like the lesser choices and not the main event? Um, right. So that's the dilemma I face every year. But yeah, uh, there's a, there's a new uh, Higashino out, which for listeners of our Japanese crime Patreon episode, they'll know he's one of the main events in modern Japanese crime. So I'm I'm hoping at the very least I get a copy of that. It's funny back um, I reckon like even a year ago, if you'd have said there's a new Higashino out, I would have laughed. But now I know you so well that I'm just this is such well worn territory for me that it doesn't <laughs> surprise me whatsoever. So there is no amused response solicited from me. I'm just like, yeah, that's Matthew Castle. That's what he does. Um, yeah, I, I'm feeling the same way. Actually, I was almost tempted to not take any games machines with me when I went to my parents this year. Um, mm. But I think I will regret that after day two because it's um a, a, it's sort of like a windy town in the middle of nowhere and like going for a walk on the coast not so fun so probably a bit slightly better if I um you know had my Steam Deck with me and then uh, and all the delights uh, that are uh, on the Steam Deck mm. so um yeah you don't but, want yeah. that wind howling through the clarinet <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite it's got double glazing they've moved to a house of double oh that's glazing. good that's he doesn't good. take it out for brisk Christmas Day walks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's not like he just carries it around and it's playing itself. Uh, that's not a, that's not a thing that happens. <laughs> the cursed song of of Samuel's dad's clarinet. <laughs> I always wonder how much of that is like a Patreon gag versus like a regular listener's gag because I think that all of the saboteur stuff started on a Patreon blog oh, right. and then so it might be confusing to people. So yeah, that's like again DLC law for uh, for people. Sorry, um, that's very obnoxious DLC. to reference the DLC <laughs> like that. But so. no, it's all good, Matthew. So yeah, Matthew, um, it's our third game of the year episode uh, in terms of like we've uh, done 2020 and 2021. Obviously, in the time the podcast has been around, um, I'm curious, how was your year? Uh, how was 2022 for you? How did it compare to the last few kind of up and down years, I suppose, for you personally? Has it been been good for you, pal? Yeah, yeah, thank, thanks for asking. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been a lot better behaved than previous years. I've had like regular work throughout the year. Um, so, you know, much more of a like nine to five, which, you know, gives you uh, structure. I do better with that kind of structure. Um, between that and the podcast, like that's kind of most of my time accounted for, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> like I'm a slave to my two jobs. Um, oh, no, it makes me feel terrible about. <laughs> no, about no, this. I, this is this is fun. You know, this I wouldn't do it if it wasn't fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's been an all right year. I've been trying to, uh, you know, now I'm in a like more sort of stable routine. I've been trying to kind of um, like lose a bit of weight, 
kind of sort myself out. We had a, a death in the family this year, not to bum everyone out, um, which does make you sort of take, you know, think about these things a little bit. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm trying to lose weight. And I did that by going on holiday to a country famed for chocolate. So that was good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I have. Yeah, I was eating quite well before I went to Bruges. But when we went to Bruges, we just ate like absolute hog. I say we, I ate like an absolute hog. And it basically just sort of like unlocked all my all my bad ways again. So, yeah, hopefully in January I'll be back on the gruel. Yeah, that's what I keep telling myself. But then like today I was like, you know, I can, I, even though it's not like 2023 yet, I can start healthy eating a bit early, you know. And um, by 11 a.m. I'd already eaten a, fa- a packet of uh, foam bananas. So like, it was, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> There's no stopping it, uh, somewhat. Um, this might be beyond um, the realm of uh, me being able to have self control to, to sort this out. So, um, just don't have yes. foam bananas in your house. It just well, no, but they don't. They never really last in my house for more than like twenty minutes. I buy them, then they're consumed. That's it. It's like you know, mm. it's like they're fifty five p, and I'm I'm satisfied afterwards. Um, and my body just like makes a noise, like why the fuck are you still doing this to me about the, it? The whole thing. The, the thing which is like my dieting kryptonite and it's like the worst trash imaginable is in sainsbury's there's like a miniature fake crispy cream stand so not even like proper crispy cream from a crispy cream shop and they sell like a little box of like six miniature ring donuts right um oh, i can demolish one of those those are like <laughs> uh, if i go down if i pass those i'm like dead i just can't deal with it um yeah yeah it's real real bad that's the sort of thing I might do once a year if things were going like not so well. Oh um, no, it's emotionally. like all the time for me. I've got such a sugar addiction, but sugar addiction just isn't an addiction that anyone takes seriously because it's so daft. You know, they didn't make a season of The Wire about sugar addiction, <laughs> uh, but they should have. Just me with just loads of mini donuts, like bubbles, if it was still like on bubbles. the telly, they would have done. You know, <laughs> you know, if it was like season, we were on season like eighteen of The Wire. They'd have done sugar by now, and then like I don't know, a, a season about theme parks, like bad theme parks in Baltimore. Obviously, the Firaxis season, as we've talked about, that was. Uh... <laughs> they call him the Candy Man. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yes, lots to think about there. I, I would say that, like, um, you and I both have a, the slight tiredness of end of year about us. I think because I think like we're both incredibly proud of the podcast success this year. Is that fair to say? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and so I think that like. It does mean, I think, that we've put probably slightly more effort into it than we did last year as a result. Um, maybe, like, just... Uh, obviously, like, there's more time invested in making the Patreon episodes that we do. That's kind of a given, but also just, like, the, the kind of researching for it. So for, for this episode, there's definitely a sense of, like, pedal real fast and just play as much as I can so I've got as many comprehensive takes as I can. So, yeah. Yeah, but, but um, that said, I'm still... Play, yeah. do, do you just not play games as much throughout the year? Um... I don't really, I can't really explain it. I think that like, <laughs> or I play games that I'm not massively in love with. There's yeah. a few, um, there's a, I've got like a, a five to six honorable mentions this year. Um, mm. There's obviously like the, the factor where I will play an, a, the God of War series from September to November and it just wipes <laughs> out those months, which are, you know, <laughs> crucial months. Um, I'm going to try better next year, but I do think that thinking about the last two Game of the Year episodes we did, and I think I could have done better in both cases. I felt like quite disappointed with my um, performance in terms of stuff I'd actually played and had an opinion. Oh, okay. On. And I, and I, yeah, because oh, I don't think, I don't think that's true. I think you always you always bring very you picks and uh, justify them very eloquently. Well, I think it's good to uh, like I never I never dislike anything I pick, obviously. But there is um, 
there's a sense of oh i wish i had more time to actually finish everything on my list or um i wish i had more time to um have played this 60 hour Mm. thing that i kind of ignored so the 2020 list i didn't have the last of us 2 or ghost of tsushima on there or hades because i hadn't played them yet so when we um eventually do the 2020 redux list um which will probably be about a year from now i will i will correct that you know i I was suspicious when last year your 10th best game of the year was chasing that crisp packet down the side of the river i thought that was odd (laughs) it was um i mean it was ratchet and clank so if that's a diss at ratchet and clank oh no 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 no, i forgot that was that (laughs) but actually chasing a crisp packet down by the river is probably more enjoyable (laughs) Um, but that said, um, I think this is like my best ten yet. Um, but I do, in terms of like, I think like I've actually picked ten interesting games that I I I really love, and I think would stand the test of time. In terms of my, even if I played everything else from this year, these games would still be in the top twenty, like no question. Right. I think that like okay. that's where like there was like XO One last year, for example, a game I enjoyed. That's like probably a borderline seven or eight, and I I did like it. Kind of had a cool. 2001-esque unknowable sci-fi quality Mm. about it but it was like displaced as soon as january in terms like when i actually got round to playing everything you know stuff moved down and i didn't feel like that cut up about moving stuff down this time i was determined to have 10 things i liked but here's the thing that happened right i think i had to fight my own nature to get to like 10 games that i think are worth picking on this list this does not look like to me what a a familiar samuel roberts best of list looks like to me like okay. it's actually quite it feels quite foreign in a lot of ways like there's one blockbuster on there that's it mm. maybe two maybe two out of push um arguably but uh that's weird um so i suppose that leads us into my question matthew was this a good year for video games it's a big question i would say it didn't give me any all timers this year and not every year does and that's fine um i think there was definitely a bit of a a kind of blockbuster vacuum uh you know the triple a games which i am drawn towards and i am a fan um didn't really deliver for me this year but actually that vacuum was filled by lots of like dark horse stuff that came out of nowhere i mean if i was asked to pick what my 10 favorite games were going to be at the start of the year um i don't think i would have heard of most of the games that ended up being on my list um, exactly which which was a, a real treat actually but you know i wouldn't say it's like an incredibly idiosyncratic list like it's it still feels like there's a lot of mainstream entertainment in there it's it's just uh it's just been a really unusual year in terms of how things unfolded yeah i think you and i have already um sort of like you know discussed the whole state of blockbusters quite comprehensively on that mm. um patreon episode about ps5 versus xbox oh, right good. we talked More about dlc talk <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that and also on the pod as well i think like we discussed on god of war um, ragnarok actually i think mm. we were saying that oh there's there were so few blockbusters this year and then the, the time one did come around you and i didn't necessarily love it as much as we maybe thought we would um so yeah it's been a it's been a weird one for for that i think it is like um an ocean of eights this year it, like truly like um yeah. i think i think i agree this like my number one is a game that i think i will i will treasure and discuss for many years to come mm-hmm. but the rest of the list i don't know i think they might all be eights yeah and that or at least like personal eights i suppose um so that's where it's a bit different there's like there's usually at least like two to three nines you know um mm. because looking last even last year which i thought was quite a also quite a rough year um at the time and then i looked at like death loop and i was like oh did i like anything as much as death loop this year and my number one i did the rest of the games on this list i'm not so sure i did um, okay interesting 
but there's the, but there's still plenty of plenty of heart picks here. Um, so yeah, I like it's weird as well because I don't know if you saw Matthew. I tweeted that um, <laughs> I looked, I listened back to our best games of 2020, and we complained about it uh, being a, like a slightly lighter year, and like that makes no sense in retrospect because that was a year that had FF7 remake. Half-Life Alex, Ghost of Shima, Last of Us Part 2, um, Doom Eternal, Animal Crossing, like Star Wars Squadrons, like a massive, massive pile of stuff. Um, I was trying to wonder how I ever thought that that was like the case. Um, and then like, I, well, I, I think I came to the conclusion that I must have been comparing it to like the, the two years before that. And that like, I had no idea what the next two pandemic altered mm. years would look like. So that's a weird one. Do you have any thoughts on how this year compares to like the last couple of years now that we've been doing this podcast across that period of time? No, I mean, like in terms of trends and stuff, I, I I guess it felt like this year. I I'm only I'm looking down my personal list and speaking for myself here. Like, I felt there was a bit of fatigue setting in with some of the more like predominantly popular sort of forms of like the last five years. You know things which have been very trusted and regular. Your your cinematic third person adventure and your kind of action RPG loot driven thing. You know I feel like they they were they've never really been weaker for me. Like and and that that speaks to the lack of blockbusters on my list. Um, mm. You know it feels like you know you look at something like Gotham Knights, which was a real kind of conceived in the the heat of destiny 2 excitement but by the time it comes out it's like has that has is that already done you know um but at the same time you know you then look over in like sort of indie world or kind of mid-tier world and i feel like people there are doing either really experimental stuff or they're beginning to like mine genres that weren't previously mined like i think particularly indie is is a space which tends to like turn to the past quite a bit you know and it felt like the predominant genres i mean this is a huge generalization but like you know there have always been a lot of 2d platformers and metroidvanias and these have been very sort of favored early indie darlings they've always been there there's always a heap of them but this year actually you know there's been you know, interesting shoot 'em ups and quite interesting point and click adventures. There's been survival horrors. You know, it mm. feels like people are again looking to the stuff they played as teenagers, but maybe slightly different stuff and the scene is becoming like richer and more interesting for it. Um so that's quite exciting and I, I think you'll definitely sense that in, in the list I've put together. Yeah, same here. Like I think it's um actually like low key a sort of banner year for those kind of mid-sized indies or like you know indie plus maybe you put we call it like that was something else i wanted to ask you about actually so when i've been looking at the list of like um you know polygons list or other outlets kind of like best games of the year um while i think there's an obvious couple of blockbusters you see over and over again there were around like 20 or so games maybe even 30 that could either be at the top or bottom of people's like best of lists and these usually were indie games or mid-sized games and like i wonder if that do you think that's a sign of like good health for this type of game basically is that like there are so many of these things that you know you can stake you can very much stake a, well this is what's like personally important to me and like there's yeah. no not necessarily like the same critical consensus you get with a blockbuster because not everyone's playing the same thing do you think that's kind of like what's going on there yeah i would say that that speaks to like a diversification like of genre especially 
you know, like there's 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 so much different stuff happening that you know whatever you're a fan of, there's probably something interesting happening in that space. So your individual lists and vary quite a lot. Um, it feels like you know, and this is an ongoing trend that you know you've either had you've had like indie studios who've been around for so long that their stuff is becoming like more ambitious as a result because they've got a few games under their belt you know or you're getting a lot of people who are just leaving the grind of like mega blockbuster AAA and taking their quite polished experience into the kind of indie or mid-tier space so it, it, it actually you know where once upon a time you'd say you know there's big studio games and there's like independent games it really does feel like the middle ground is like filling up from sort of below again. You know, it's kind of mm. come all the way around. Like we're actually now getting stuff which you would technically classify as indie based on that it is an independent studio. Um, but they're made with the production values of AAA or, or, or if not the production values, the kind of like, you know, the, you know, other elements of polish or just the, the kind of, you know, I don't want it just to be about production values or, you know, it's like ambition of ideas as well. And, you know, there's games here which feel like they would have been made by what we would have called a big team 20 years ago, but now made like something like Tinykin, for example, like in the N64 era, that would have been a rare game. You know, that just that that is the quality and size and scope of a of a of a 60 pound N64 game from Rare. And now Mm. it's not. And, And that it just feels like that that space filling up that has always been the space where people have found like more singular games that speak to them on an individual level yeah i think it's a shame that you've uh, revealed your number one pick so early matthew uh, tinykin (laughs) tinykin tinykin is not on my list Uh, (laughs) but that is that's that's a little uh, that's a little courtesy shout out because it's not an honorable (laughs) mention i thought it was fine like i thought it was fine like the rare games of the N64 era were fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should. We need a new category after honorable mentions called courtesy shoutouts. It's like we're not saying they're good or bad. We're just saying that they were. They sure were there. And we're like, acknowledging well acknowledging them. And I'm also acknowledging people in the Discord who I know are fond of these games. And you know, we, we're not just ignoring them. We recognise these games happened. <laughs> yeah. I would probably put uh, Metal Hell Singer in that bracket. I thought it was. Right. Um, uh, perfectly, um, perfectly fine. It just didn't quite grab me enough to um, to do the kind of like big replays uh, and like get up the sort of you know leaderboards mm. uh, sort of like loop of it. I was kind of there thinking I wouldn't mind basically just playing another version of Doom Eternal that's got mm. that's about music. Just uh, too much metal music for me. <laughs> I was kind of waiting for the Girls Aloud mods to drop. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of what I was waiting for. Get like <laughs> get the entire um, biology album on there and see how that goes. <laughs> Um, okay, good. So yeah, um, that's courtesy mentions out of the way. So um, here's a question for you though, Matthew. So I've, it's more of a kind of a chicken or egg question, I guess. But I assume we both have Game Pass games in each of our lists. Mm. And I was curious how much you think Game Pass is driving the conversation around indie or mid-sized games. And I mean this on the level of like the games being available, but also maybe press feel like there's more incentive to cover games that I'm not saying they do do this, but maybe maybe they would to cover games that they know that lots of people will be play will play or be curious about playing. Much like when a new Netflix series drops and everyone's got Netflix, so you check it out. Like, to what extent do you think the conversation around these games is being driven by Game Pass's like reach? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely having an impact. I don't think we'd be talking about Tinykin if it hadn't been on Game Pass, for example. Not that we really are talking about Tinykin, but anyway. Are you brought it back around to Tinykin? <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm perplexed but, by But like, Tiny, Tinykin is like the definitive like <laughs> uh, Game Pass breakout game. Right. You know, like I think it was just there. It, you know, it it feels like a comfortable six hours. You can dip in. It establishes exactly what it is incredibly quickly. Like it's it's just a good fit um, for Game Pass. Uh, a, mate, a terrible thumbnail on Game Pass, uh, which I think has has a big impact on me. Like I look down a lot of the things. And I'm like, <laughs> does this one image make me want to play this game? And it didn't do it for me. I only played it because people were talking about it on forums. But anyway, this isn't the fucking Tiny Kin podcast, so let's move away from <laughs> that's that. Ne- that's next week, so look yes. forward to it. It's, it's four hours long. <laughs> that's that's when that's a real tough Patreon episode hang, that one. Uh, <laughs> XXL, Tiny Kin special. Um... <laughs> Like, it's interesting. I think, in a way, like, I can't work out if Game Pass is, like, growing or shrinking, um, like, what we play. I think it might be doing it, like, simultaneously, in that you are much more likely to try something that's in Game Pass. But I also find, like, as a result of Game Pass being there with so many things to play, that I'm, like, less likely to try something that isn't on Game Pass than I had, than I was before. Because I have a, oh, you know, it's become like another like Steam sale type mechanic to me where it's I'm just waiting for things to be on there. And, you know, there's this games I've got banked as like, I will play that on Game Pass, which feels feels quite unhealthy. I know that isn't particularly the question we're talking about, but um, like and the short answer is, you know, whether or not I think it's like opening up and. Uh, is maybe responsible for slightly more varied like end of game lists uh, end of year game lists i think definitely um mm. like you know i don't i you know I, I don't think it's um coincidence that there are so many game pass games on these lists um that also might just be microsoft being very savvy about putting stuff on there or you know obtaining stuff which has got tremendous buzz around it you mm. know like I don't think we can claim Vampire Survivors isn't a Game Pass win. You know, that was a huge early access success story that that Microsoft have very cleverly kind of got on that bandwagon. But, you know, something, say, like Norco, for example, you know, then putting that on Game Pass, that feels maybe like a response to critical acclaim, rather, Mm -hmm. you know, which came from traditional journalism. And maybe because it is on there, that now, like, amplifies it beyond that traditional journalism. I don't know. Yeah. What do you What do you think? <laughs> uh, I think it's like I think you're right about it, sort of growing and contracting what you pay at the same time, because um, you have this pool of stuff that you can access very easily, and that is extremely compelling as an offering, even in a year that's been pretty blockbuster deprived on the Xbox side. Mm. Um, and it's still like really exciting to log on, go to the, that that lovely "What's New" button, you just see everything that's been uploaded, and it's like, oh, you know. Um, uh, high on life looks like an ultimate play it for 40 minutes and log off game for me I mean I, I, maybe I like it we'll see but you know it's 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 been like that all year but some of that stuff has been amazing some of that stuff has just been okay it's telling actually that every single game in my honorable mentions is a game pass game um, right and like but in my main list it's uh, only three are game pass games so um, clearly my you know my buying habits still um, extend beyond uh, the kind of like limits of um, of game pass but um yeah, it, I would say like I can't deny that it is. It has changed my my taste to quite a large degree, or at least the sort of things I'm sampling have been have, have changed as a result. But I think it is probably 
ultimately good for everyone to have this variety of things to, to dip into and it, was, it is nice as well like um it does become almost like uh, to use a netflix analogy again everyone has checked out this new netflix series and everyone has access to it and now everyone can talk about it and that is that is quite cool even though i'm not i guess i'm not thinking too much about the effects of what happens outside of game pass there but as a kind of like seeing our discord light up with people talking about signalis for example and you know mm. everyone can play it and everyone can talk about it that's pretty cool mm. Um, mm. except balladeer who only has a nintendo system but that's it that's their, that's <laughs> Ooh, their problem a special name shout out <laughs> that, <laughs> should up extra, every... that should be a new patreon tier I only I only um, shout out my enemies on the Discord on this <laughs> podcast. A, a ten pound Patreon tier that's personalised burns. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about the Patreon way too much of this episode. So uh, I promise we're not. Well, it's not a hard sell. The, the podcast will remain sell. free. Yeah. <laughs> Last Patreon mention: patreoncom pod. It won't come up again on this podcast. To now to continue. So yes. um, yeah. Um, so so uh, Matthew, here's a question then. Like um, so you know we've we've discussed the fact that I have failed to keep up with the games that have come out this year despite having relatively good access via the old epic games press account which saves my skin every single year that thing fucking rules i hope they never delete my access to it touch wood um what was the best game you played this year that wasn't released in 2022 uh this is like the nerdiest matthew shit possible um (laughs) it came up in our visual novel episode it is the um 100 plus hour crime epic that is umineko when they cry um which i'm still playing through because it's so fucking long um this is the 10 or 12 part i can't remember uh sort of i mean as as straight as they come visual novel like there's no puzzle element to it whatsoever it is pressing a a million times to scroll through text Mm. um but you know it's it's just a, a brilliant murder mystery novel you know which I happen to 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 read on a Steam Deck uh, in bed occasionally, um, but I was playing it so much that I f- I felt like my book pile by my bed was beginning to like teeter and become a bit <laughs> of a sort of health and safety concern. So I had to put down the Steam Deck and start going through the books again because otherwise I can't be asking for a load of books for Christmas. You know, if I've got a big pile of unread, like that would be gross. So um, yeah, I've still got to finish it. So it may shit the bed at the end, but. Um, yeah, I'm sorry that that's not a very exciting like hidden gem from 2021. Is that what you intended no. for this category? <laughs> no, I was genuinely curious. Because um, yeah, mine's going to be probably God of War 3, which fucking ruled. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was that. I mean, I, I, you know, I won't lie. Like, I, It wasn't so much Discovery, but like going back and replaying a lot of Kirby games, some of them, it was like playing them afresh. You know, the, the Kirby's Wii Adventure or whatever it's called return to dreamland you know a game we we very much dismissed in endgamer and playing that again now with like maybe uh i don't want to say a more more mature understanding of what kirby's about but (laughs) kind of a like understanding that like the kind of personality and the kind of weirdness of his world is like his reason for being rather than thinking about it as just like a technical like skill platformer kind of changed my perception on a lot of Kirby games and that one I was like this is this was really really polished this was like a secretly great Wii game that we never ever did any justice to on the Nintendo mags so Mm. yeah I I feel a bit guilty about that one that was that was a that was a nice treat 
Yeah, famously, you have to be in your late thirties to really crack Kirby intellectually. Oh well, I, think, so. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what it is. You know, you just you know, when you're a snotty twenty-two-year-old and mm. you're just like dumping on Kirby because it's funny. He's such an easy target because he's so daft and um, yeah, that was just wrong. I'm happy to put my hand up in a bit to that. There you go. Um, jail Matthew Castle for that take um, uh, tw- 15 years ago I will say actually that Kirby episode was really good and uh, I did re-listen to it after playing uh, this year's Kirby game um, so I definitely recommend the listeners to go back and uh, check mm. that one out, that one's free, that's on the free feed that one, uh, so yes uh, very good. We're getting perilously um, close to the banned topic uh, Yeah, let's steer away very quickly um, So yes uh, yeah, it would probably be God of War 3 for me, I know we put God of War 2018 on the uh, the top of that list but um, three is the one I reflect on as like what a fucking great use of like eight hours that was. You know mm. what I mean? Just like cl- climb Olympus and beat a load of gods to death. I had a great time. That was really good. So um, obviously, yeah, disclaimer. Really apart from the problematic bits, yeah, uh, <laughs> which, of which there are about fifteen uh, bits <laughs> like that, as discussed in that episode. Um, that would probably be number one on my list if it came out this year. Um, and no offense to all of the indie games that I've uh, called out. Um, so Matthew, what was your biggest disappointment of twenty twenty two? So I've got a couple of things for this. Um, like a minor disappointment was Dying Light 2. Um, partly because I did the Edge cover feature on it. And when you've spoken to a team and they've spoken very thoughtfully about their own game, you know, you, I'm not saying you have a, a, a like a natural affinity for the game. I can still like review it, um, you know, critically. But you kind of, you know where they're coming from. When you're playing something, you can see what they were going for. and And you kind of... I don't know, it puts a face to the game in a way and then you sort of, you can't help but like wish them well because I'm a human being full of compassion for my fellow human being. Uh, And, um, but like, I just, I felt like they'd sanded down so many of the rough edges of of, um, Dying Light 1 that it just lost a bit of its character. Like, I'm not saying, nothing is contrarian as, oh, this game needs to be mega janky. But in some of its weirder decisions, is is where it is where its like magic lay in the original, and and that's a game like I I I really grew to qu- like quite a lot over the years. Didn't think much of it originally, um, but actually I think it's quirks to find it. So the sequel I just thought was was just a, a little too safe, and which which was a bummer. But I'd say for me, probably the big one was Ghostwire Tokyo, which should be pure castle fodder, you know. Uh, f- from Tango, you know, Shinji Mikami's lot. It's not a Shinji Mikami-involved game. Like, this was meant to be the game where, like, his younger kind of creators kind of stepped up, and they definitely did. Like, it's 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 perfectly fine. I don't think it's a bad game at all, but I was... It really bummed me out, like, just how many of the um, conventions of, like, the open-world map icon game this, this adhered to. Um, I think it tried to disguise a lot of it behind sort of interesting kind of Japanese folklore ideas, but I, th- I thought they were quite flimsy skins on on quite boring ideas. It was very easy to see the, the same old crap you've been doing in Far Cry for years kind of here in this game, um, which is a bummer because, like, you know, a big game where you can basically parkour around an amazing digital recreation of Tokyo. I mean, that side of it, awesome. Like, what a place to be in. I just wish they'd found a more interesting game. And I, I just don't think the, that the the way they leaned into Urban Legend was was anywhere near as interesting as it needed to be. So, um, yeah, that was a that was a bummer. It wasn't I wasn't uh, I took no glee in writing that review. 
Mm, okay, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I think I actually like might have skipped out on that one because you were a little bit cool on it, but I do actually want to play it still. Um, yeah, but it's a, like, f- yeah. a favourite of, you know, lots of people I respect really dig it. I, I know some people think it's one of those 7 out of 10s, um, right, right. but I just think it's just too conservative to be one of those. It's 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 just a 7. It's not a mm. 7. <laughs> <laughs> back on that bullshit <laughs> oh god let's not repeat that um that was a yeah a headache but a lucrative headache frankly um so uh, um yeah so i i feel a bit cruel picking this but card shark was mine oh um, okay i just wasn't really into what it was doing and uh yeah but I, I thought it looked amazing and sounded fantastic it was a great period piece but like as kind of a basically a a string of quite fiddly midi games to learn it just didn't really do it for me and I, I I don't know why I was like quite hyped about this. I guess because like, um, is it Nerial the studio that made this? Yeah, um, sounds about they right. Ma- they made the Reigns games, which are all fantastic. I love those games. Um, yeah, just I thought this would be more for me than it was. Um, but that's not to say it was like a massive disappointment. It was like not nearly as disappointing as like playing Aliens Fireteam Elite was last year. Um, right. It, to, yeah. To be honest, uh, the bigger disappointment was. Um, I played the Avengers game to the end this year, and the fact that you unlock Spider-Man, then there's nothing to do with Spider-Man. That was such a bummer in that game. Um, <laughs> except go and fight the same robot lads over and over again. Like, oh, that was, that's tough. There's a couple of cool story missions in Avengers that are worth seeing, but yeah, I got to the end game and it was like, you want to go do more of this? Let's go into these war zones, and I was like, nope. Um, but uh, <laughs> thank you for turning up. Who ever uh, gets was... excited about the prospect of going into a war zone? Like, it's just I don't know. That doesn't speak to me. I mean, it's always a bad sign when, like, you don't want to play the next bit, so you just um, queue up the cutscenes from the Black Panther and Hawkeye DLC that you can't be asked to actually play through. So <laughs> that's what I did. I just sat through like about um, thirty minutes of cutscenes while I was pedaling on my exercise bike, and that that was that was how my experience with Marvel's Avengers ended. So that's uh, <laughs> that's tough. Um, but Matthew, that's enough. Uh, that's enough negativity. Should we get into uh, our list? Take a yeah, quick break. Let's, let's do it. to the podcast so the top 10 list we're here if anyone's listened to the podcast before our game of the year episodes we always do it in the same old format borrowed from uh, our pals chet and john i say our pals i don't know if matthew knows either chet or john but um and i don't know chet but i do know john <laughs> great pal, so. <laughs> good spiel <laughs> <laughs> completely unnecessary but um yeah sure i think chet they, uh, and john are great i know john a bit i don't know chet at all but i'm sure he's great John supports the podcast and Patreon, so he's, uh, you know, tentatively, I take that as his um, <laughs> his approval. Um, but yeah, so we alternate, we uh, start at 10, go down to 1, and then whoever's got, um, if we have the same game on both our lists, whoever has it highest, that's when we discuss it, basically. Like, the last one of these that we did was um, Best Games of 2013, um, back in July, I think it was. Mm. So um, yeah, we, we, we've done this format for the last three years in real time and then we also go back to um 2006 onwards so this is a well-worn format at this point mm. but if you're new to the episode and a lot of people listen to this episode as their first you know people tend to jump on when we do best games of the year uh, that's kind of how it goes so uh god knows what you thought about the 35 minutes before this um but yeah, that's, listen, that's that was some top dieting chat <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, I don't know why I'm trying to be accessible now after like upselling <laughs> upselling the the thing that we don't discuss and uh, babbling about Marvel's Avengers cutscenes. Um, so yes, uh, Matthew, are there any caveats for your list before we jump in? Anything you couldn't find time to play before this episode, or anything else you want to say before we get into it? Uh, I started playing Marvel's Midnight Suns um, about a week ago, and it seems great, but it also just—it's just too big to mainline. And I thought I—I want to take my time with this. I'm not going to rush this just for the podcast. Just on the off chance that it makes the top ten, I don't know if it would. Um, Catherine reviewed it for RPS, spoke very highly of it, and the the opening few hours that I played seemed good. But uh, yeah, that that has that has not made the list. That's their fault for releasing a eighty hour campaign in <laughs> December. Who the fuck does that? That's insane. That's tough, isn't it? That's that's hard when you make a when you, you're a part time podcaster, uh, and uh, yeah, you, you you can't fit that in. So, um... uh, and I also haven't had I haven't yet uh, played uh, Chaos Gate either. So, apologies for that. <laughs> Are you apologising to me personally? Well, I uh, know you. You know, you, you, well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think you, have to I think you gave me a code for it. <laughs> oh, did I? I yeah. remember that. But uh, that's yeah. how ungracious I am. <laughs> No, I don't mind. It's, it's, it's all good, pal. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, let me know what you think if you ever play it. But um, shame because I know you're a big, you're a big Grey Knights guy. You're always talking about those Grey Knights. Well, and, well um... uh, the 40k ness of it aside, Catherine loved it. Like uh, I'm pretty sure that was in the RPS calendar. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's been popped up in a in a few lists. But enough about that. We don't cross the streams, do we? Matthew? No, we don't that's cross the, the streams, the which is tough. Tough when the stream is a good game that I want to talk about. Or I should. <laughs> Uh, okay that's very nice of you okay uh, my caveats very similar to matthew marvel midnight suns i did not have time for um I don't release a game in december that's that fucking long i can't i haven't got time to play it it can't go in the list tough tough break um we should probably thank sam white for giving you a key for this as oh, well yeah. matthew. um don't know where he got it from maybe he stole it um <laughs> i don't know <laughs> No, that, that was nice, wasn't it? But he, yeah, did say he, own, yes. he did say he owns your ass now, which is tough. Well, that's um, good. But... Well, he, that's his £10 personalised burn. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so th- that was one. Uh, Weird West, I didn't have time for. Sorry about that. I know that it, as a kind of immersive simmy sort of twin stick style shooter thing um, from one of the um, uh, key figures at Arcane Studios. I'll probably like it, but I haven't had time yet. Road Warden, I've not had time for either. And Pentiment, I've not had time for either. So right. those are all on my list, I guess, to go into, to, to play. I'll probably talk about them in the um, first what we've been playing of next year. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, that's not to say that the games on my list are not still uh, good. Uh, they definitely are. So mm. um, let's kick off then, Matthew. What, what have you got for number 10? Okay, I'll just say beforehand, I'm really interested how much crossover we have. Yeah, I there's, think there's I a reckon... version of this episode where that we talk about twenty games, and there's a version where we talk about just ten games. Uh, this will sit I, definitely yeah. in the middle, but I'm curious how far either way. I'm certain that three of my games will not be on your list, like certain. Um, okay, but the rest could be. Um, that's uh, yeah. We'll see how it goes. Um, uh. So yeah, for my first pick. Um, I'm not a huge fan of like the FMV genre, but this year there was a game that kind of really convinced me to it. Uh, it had amazing production values, it's a story that kind of took you through time, and um, you had to really piece together a mystery, um, which I really loved. So uh, I, for my for my first pick, I'm going with the Centennial Case, the Shijima story. <laughs> I honestly thought that was going to be immortality from the way you were describing it. That was so like, was that deliberate, Matthew? 
that was deliberate. <laughs> such a, such a you shit. Cheeky, you cheeky motherfucker! What an absolute, <laughs> what an absolute, what what podcast shit houseery that is. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Amazing. Right. Well, I'm going to go on mute for forty minutes while Matthew talks us through oh, this game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is the great white whale of this podcast because uh, <laughs> talking about the centennial case is a game which I really struggle to make sound interesting. Um, you know, I, I should say that was that was uh, no shade on immortality. Um, it, was I, it? Was it no, no shade? No, it's no. It was just being silly. Are you sure? I, was, I was trying to mislead you one way. Um, it was it was really funny. That was that was really good. You got me, pal. Well done. Well done. No, this is like the ultimate heartbeat game for me. Like. This won't appear on any other list, um, or I have not seen it on any other list. It is not a particularly interactive story. Um, It doesn't have a great detective mechanic at the heart of it. But what it is, and why it speaks to me, is uh, an incredible Japanese mystery story that is in itself about Japanese mystery stories. Uh, You play a crime author who goes to a house, she's pulled into a situation um, to work out what's going on with this family and a mysterious crime that has occurred there. But while she's there, you are also pulled into the past, but you're pulled into the past through crime literature. So you find like early manuscripts of an early crime story and you find a short story written in a crime magazine. So it, it's it's a game which is a, you know, a mystery and it is about you know our love of mysteries through the ages and how all that adds up into a just a super compelling mystery package if and it's a huge if you are as big a japanese crime fiction head as i am um (laughs) so that is why it's the ultimate heart pick joking aside i did think this was beautifully made i thought it had tv production values i really like the cast in it the way it has a cast of like eight actors say but it jumps through time and it recasts everyone so different people play uh the same people play different characters in each time frame and over the course of the game you kind of build up all these like weird prejudices uh towards characters based on what they do in individual stories so you keep thinking well if this guy was the villain in this story does that mean he's likely to be the villain in that story just creates this uh, a very like good possibility space for weirdness to happen um and it's a pretty good story it's a pretty good mystery they turned to mystery writers to help them construct it um i was watching a making of documentary about this that square enix put out on their youtube channel to got got about 1000 views which made me laugh <laughs> and they were talking about how they actually took the story to university mystery clubs uh, in japan to kind of like road test it and see if it held up and if the logic of it was sound and those mystery clubs are like they're the same breeding ground where a lot of japanese crime writers kind of came up from um so it's just it's a game that's so embedded in a certain community i just cannot help but love it and i had to include it somewhere on my list yeah that's uh you know i'm, I'm pleased to see it here um i'm <laughs> i felt like you had you gave a good um a good rundown there of why it's good matthew without you know <laughs> sort of like getting self-conscious about talking too long and all that stuff that um made for such controversial podcasting this year oh um, i wrote it all down this time <laughs> <laughs> so i'm allowed three paragraphs and i have to fucking log off um <laughs> Yeah, that's good. No, I, I I would play this at a certain point, but I feel like I should play should be a scramble for a play this on the oh, kind yeah. of like FMV uh, front. You know what I mean? Or style style front. Yeah, should be a scramble, which has a connection to this. One of the writers on should be a scramble is the director of this, which is maybe where like just its sort of solid storytelling kind of building blocks come from. Um, 
yeah, I, I, I really love it, but I can completely understand. Like, if you approach it as just a, does this hold up to like Ace Attorney? Like, mm. it's kind of ass as an actual mystery right. game. Um, but if you push that aside and you just watch it through, um, it's really great. I, I do feel pretty shitty for making it sound like I was going to pick Immortality. I feel bad about that. <laughs> nah, not at all. I think it's, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's fine. This is bound to be popping up in a few Steam sales end of the year kind of stuff. Yeah. It's on Steam, actually. It's on Steam. It's on Steam. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, absolutely amazing soundtrack, actually. And the, st- the Steam version comes with a like a separate downloadable soundtrack for it, um, which I have been listening to a lot this year. Okay. Cool. Well, that's uh, yeah, a, a good number ten to kick us off, Matthew. So my number 10 is an artfully done, uh, beautiful, and slightly horny journey through cinematic history. It's the city builder, Dorf Romantic. Um, so, yes. Uh, oh, I really hope Sam Barlow doesn't listen to this episode. <laughs> yeah, so again, I, I also harbour no, no issue with yeah, immortality. Yeah, respect for the man. <laughs> yeah, it's really nicely done. It's going to come up in my honourable mentions, so it's, uh, yeah, it's all good. Um, yeah, so Dorf Romantic, this is a game that Catherine recommended to me, Matthew, or at least I think maybe she wrote an article about it and I ended up picking it up. Mm. Um, I bought this last December, and I've checked in like every now and then with it. It came out of early access this year, which is why I picked it. It's um, basically what this is, is a quite chill um, city builder game where you place different parts of like a landscape onto the this hexagonal grid. Um, so one um, one tile might have like sort of a few houses on it and some forest. And the idea is that you're meant to connect different uh, sort of like hexagonal tiles together that um, that are of a, of a similar type. And there's scale in it because let's say like one part of the he- the hexagon has a bit of forest on it, and you want to connect it to some more forest, and you kind of need to twist the he- um, twist the he- twist the hexagon round and place it there so you can kind of like um, chain it together. And then the UI will give you a nice little thing, being like, "Oh, there's like nice little shiny effect because you've um, built a little forest here, or you've built like a little housing community and stuff like that." Um, but it's like really complex as well because it, the cities grow and grow and grow and you are given these kind of micro objectives these goals within um each game to basically like string together a whole bunch of tiles of the same type um so build like an epic sized forest and then it will give you more tiles to place the whole thing with this is it's counting down basically the number of tiles you've got left and when you hit zero it's game over and then you get your score and then you've kind of like you, you're kind of done with it um so basically it's in your best interest to keep hitting those objectives but they get harder and harder and then the map gets bigger and there are some spaces you can't always put down a tile of a certain type so um yeah it's like it, yeah si- simple seeming like a bit like maybe a bit might remind you a bit of townscaper if you played that on um i think that was on game pass and right. uh you know it's pretty cheaply available but i think it has like a bit more going on um with it in terms of like game design than that it does it does ask a little bit more from you um and then it as you as you go along it's got these kind of meta objectives where you're adding new types of tiles so you know you build a tile where you can like add a train onto a train track and then um different types of resource tiles and that sort of thing um and then the game will kind of give you points based on how um on on how kind of like neatly you've all stacked it all together mm. um but, but because it doesn't it's not strictly a game about efficiency you'll end up building these quite characterful landscapes using the tiles and like and end up being quite happy and um, pleased with your creation um Ooh. it's a good vibes game matthew it's really the only thing like this on my list that um that is kind of like a dip in dip out it's, sort it's of the like only game compulsive. that made you happy <laughs> <laughs> no it's like it's it's a game that's um it's compulsive but it's pleasant it's so pleasant i don't question um, right. like what it's doing to my brain do you know what i mean sometimes these games i had a, I had a bit of a wrestling with this this year with um marvel snap for example which which is like 
games that are like where the primary motivation for playing them is their compulsive as opposed to like you know some other element like the narrative or the world that sort of thing right. and, and, and i'm like am i playing this because i like the game or am i playing this because basically they've sent some fucking tesla tanks to the pleasure centers of my brain and they're just like zapping it constantly like that's <laughs> those are like the questions i was kind of weighing up but um dwarf romantic has on like the uh kind of uh kind of like the you know the cheerier side of that equation i think yeah. so i don't i don't feel bad picking it but, um have you have you come across no, this one i think i haven't played it but like I, i've been a bit of a dwarf romantic widower for a while because <laughs> Catherine played this so much i mean she loves this game and it, it's a game i've like never been really been able to pass by like watching her play it like I've, right. I've, i still don't really well i know how it works you've explained it she's explained it to me many times um but i've never made the actual leap um but there's no like panic element to it you have all the time in the world right you do but there are like um there is like a, a panic style mode they added i think with the newer version but that's not how i play it i tend right. to just play the version where yeah it'll just yeah you just you can take your time place your tiles however you like and then just you know if you do a bad job you can start again it's all good the game doesn't punish you you know what's a dwarf uh, when it's at home uh dwarf romantic is a word i I did read about what the meaning of this word was i think it's got it's like one of those words that means something very specific uh let me just look it up okay um um it's usually used to describe the kind of nostalgic feeling you get when you long to be in the countryside um so that's uh uh, it's an older German word, apparently. So, um, do you yeah. have that? Not really. I hate countryside. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same I like here. Like, oh. I want a version of this game where it's just about l- laying down tarmac over grass. <laughs> yeah, I need a stout. I need a German word for the nostalgic feeling you get when you long for a sandwich shop that's been closed down. Like that's like the. <laughs> <laughs> I need that that word um, fla- flavor in Bournemouth. I want a game where I I basically yeah you you have to place all the right tiles so that Tony <laughs> will come back to um, Intermezzo because the new yeah. shop's terrible. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's like the sandwiches are still good, but the guy in it. Uh, did I talk about my new Intermezzo experience of the podcast? Matthew? Uh, I can't remember. Maybe it's like what I ordered online. Went there and he went, oh, the online orders aren't working today. What did you order? And I just had to tell him, and then I had to like go away and wait again, even though I'd already I oh, prepaid, man. and and I was like, "Come on, man!" And then um, someone walked in, I think, and ordered like uh, ordered like a ve- a vegetarian based sandwich, and then he just went, "Oh, we haven't got the vegetarian chicken in today," and then the guy just <laughs> oh, left. Oh, uh, this is kind of a bumpy ride, really. Um, yeah, a shame because the sandwiches are as good as ever. So, oh, really? Uh, oh, interesting. I didn't know, I didn't know the sandwiches held up, but yeah. yeah you know, well, anyway, it's decent. Yeah, it's tough. T- tough. Tony yeah. DLC for Dwarf Romantic when. <laughs> Oh, very good. Um, so this game is good. I think you would like it. Do you know there's a Switch version, Matthew? That released this year as well. Oh well, um, I, I I should I should play it. I mean, it would make Catherine happy. Um, there you go. Or, or at least just play it out of spite for all the time Catherine didn't spend with you while she's playing this. Now you can oh, do the well, same to her. Uh, you know. I mean, I, I'm distracted all the time. Like she <laughs> she would have to do play so many video games to cancel out all the time I've been looking at Twitter and not listening to what she said to me. <laughs> So, um, well, let's not go into that. Yeah, as somebody has been around your house a few times, I've seen that happen in real time. That's uh, yeah, that's, uh, that that does happen. Uh, but let's move on. So, what's your number nine, Matthew? Uh, my number nine um, is Drainus. Ah, yes, a side-scrolling shooter, right? Not on my list. Yeah, um, I was put onto this by uh, Ash Day's enthusiasm for it on Twitter. Um, 
actually this year I tried out a few shoot 'em ups. Like I, I really like Martin Robinson's writing about shoot 'em ups on Eurogamer, and uh, you know he 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 put together uh, an article maybe this year, maybe last year about just the scene on Switch and how there was all this good stuff. And I bought a load of stuff there and started dabbling. And you know, I, I it's not I, not a genre I know anything about. Like I have I have no expertise here at all. Drainus happens to be like a game that came out this year and a very accessible one. Uh, it's not just accessible, it's also just excellent. It's just a, a, an incredibly satisfying game to play. I really got into this. It has this central mechanic where your ship has a shield uh, which protects it from purple projectiles in the world and turns those same projectiles into attacks. And uh, to survive, you have to use this shield sort of judiciously uh, whenever purple stuff's coming your way to absorb and then shoot it back. And from this, they build a beautifully sort of choreographed sort of dance with different enemies in that the way you kind of time your shield to pass through, you know, waves that are coming your way or the movement, you have to sort of sweep through certain projectiles to, to get to safe zones. Like it almost has the feel of a, of a rhythm game in the way that you pilot this ship and you kind of interact and think about projectiles as an opportunity. Um, I probably haven't explained it brilliantly well there, but if people play it, like you'll immediately pick up what I'm talking about. Like There are some boss fights where you're almost locked in a very tight space and the patterns of projectiles that are coming towards you like have the feel of a rhythm game when you're like tapping the shield on and off to fight this thing. And you know that in itself is great but around it it's just a really fast-paced beautiful uh, beautifully animated game it's got really like fun enemy design um i've seen treasure mentioned a lot uh, with regards to this it has a lot of that energy almost feels like a bit of a spiritual successor to your kind of you know treasure shoot 'em ups i guess but also in the boss design reminded me a lot of like gunstar heroes the way these kind of weird animal mechs will constantly transform into all these crazy new phases and you just don't know what it's going to do next it's you know maybe a couple of hours you know from start to finish but in that time you feel like you see like a hell of a lot yeah just very flashy very fun very accessible very generous with checkpoints you know it looks hectic but because of the shield element like it, i i don't think it actually it, it you know it doesn't feel like the more like bullet hell games which again not an expert but i've tried a few this last year or so and this 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 definitely feels on the gentler end of things so as a you know a great entry point that is also just really entertaining in its own right i thought this was great great steam deck game um mm. if, if you fancy it quite cheap um yeah like 10 quid or something like that yeah um, i think yes yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's not much at all um i'm not familiar with the studio at all i think they've made a few like metroidvanias before this japanese mm. studio called ladybug um but yeah just uh yeah a uh, uh a complete sort of shot in the dark recommendation that I took, and I'm pleased I did because it just uh, yeah really resonated with me. And yet, Asher's Sonic Frontiers recommendation, Matthew, you uh, I just don't you... understand how a man who has such good taste in some respects, um, I th- I just don't get the Sonic Frontier thing, and I don't get the Balan Wonder World Wonderland thing either. I feel like mm. I'm being trolled in some <laughs> twisted way. Um, but whatever, that's fine. <laughs> we can litigate that when Ash comes back on the podcast uh, with a better microphone, which I'm looking forward to <laughs> next year. That should be good. Um, 
yeah, that'd be good. Uh, yeah, Drainer. So I think I'll, I'll, I'll keep an eye on this. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll wish list it and see if it pops up for under a tenner. That sounds like it's uh, well worth a punt. Kind of like almost sort of ikarugari use of color sort of thing, Matthew, where it's like the color yeah. indicates something specific. I guess like quite a few shooters do that, right? But um, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's yeah, it's a little simpler in that you know the shield just absorbs this one color. You know, it's like hmm. purple you can negate, red is always trouble. Um, there's there's other stuff in here about like the weapons upgrade system. You can kind of like customize your ship on the fly. Uh, one of the criticisms of it is it's a little bit fiddly. You can like pause it mid flow and go in and like re-equip your ship. I must admit mm. I didn't really do that. Once I had like a broad weapon setup, I was happy with. Um, mm. But again, I'm not really playing this on you know any kind of advanced level where I'm interested in like score chasing or like optimizing my ship. You know, I imagine people have got like different ship builds for different stretches of the level because it makes more sense but you know if if a doofus like me can sort of <laughs> sort of scrape through i imagine most people can amen brother not just in shooters but in life no, <laughs> uh, no no <laughs> I, th- I feel the same maybe like um a gradius advance as my training wheels for this one matthew so uh, right yeah drain us okay cool that's a good pick maybe we, we are gonna have completely different lists maybe. Like, i'm starting to wonder yeah i wish it didn't sound like anus yeah, that's tough. You know, I keep, I keep thinking about that. Like, uh, I was thinking, I was there teetering on the edge of, do I make a joke about this? But I'm like, look, just because we talk about old magazines on this, we don't have to do all the things old magazines <laughs> used to do and make really tacky naff pun jokes oh, about, um, you know, rhyming drainers and anus. We we are slightly above that, just a tiny bit. Um, yeah. So, yeah, okay. Um, so my number nine, Matthew, is the Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe. So. This year, the Stanley Parable, which started off as like a, I think a free free game, like a, I think it was like a source mod, something like that, uh, that then became a commercial game in 2013, a full game about this office worker, first person game, who um, is given instructions by this narrator and either follows his instructions or doesn't um, to a number of wild outcomes. This game, I think, is uh, quite clearly a, an influence on uh, Severance, which released this year on Apple TV Plus. We just discussed that on uh, the TV episodes. Um, <laughs> we're not going to go to the Patreon stuff again. I, I really said that, but still, <laughs> uh, it is relevant here. Um, and so this now, like almost ten years later, they've come back with. Um, I think they've, they had to port Stanley Parable to a different engine. I think, or there was some reason they wanted to do that. But as well as doing that, they've basically made a game that, if not doubles the content of the original adds like a significant chunk to it and it's like both a remake of the original in that you can play the game as it was and get more or less the same outcomes as you used to but it is also a meditation on sequel making and it's like new content took me about four to five hours to get through which is about as much time as i played the original and it's kind of like full of new secrets to uncover basically and it's like it's um it's it's like reflective about what the, about the game is it originally released. It makes fun of a couple of bits of um, a couple of bits of dialogue that didn't stand the test of time, um, which is which is really funny when that happens. They got the same narrator back to do a load of more new lines. There are there are a couple of quite famous game references in the original that they have swapped for new game references. I sent Matthew a picture of one of these actually. Oh um, yeah, I, saw, like, I, I haven't played this, but when I saw that, I was like, oh shit, I have to play this. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty rad. Um, it was it was always worth paying it, uh, for the, for this just to see that. But then, yeah, it does some quite quite wild things with the idea of sequel making and then like um yeah like i did have to use a guide to get some of the kind of cooler secrets pride out of it but i didn't mind doing that it was great to go back to a game that felt um so familiar a beloved favorite 
um, and then like just find find these all of these new layers to it. That's really really exciting. So I'm pleased that anyone who comes to this game now uh, has so much to discover and so much to enjoy. And it's on consoles now as well as PC. So uh, yes, um, well done to Crows 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 and uh, Davy Reedon for um, uh, for bringing this back. It was an absolute delight to step back into this world Ooh. and enjoy that kind of um, humor again. Um, you... So Matthew, do you ever play the original? I can't remember if we discussed I've, this. I played it a little bit. Um, you know no way near enough to get into the like true depths of this game and what it what it's really about and what it can really do um i guess my sort of like question is is sort of not specifically about the new stuff but you know if if you want to play this seriously and you really want to like mine it for for all it's worth like how difficult is that you said you had to look to a guide or you know do you do you feel like the the pointers are hidden in the game like is is the game a puzzle to figure out in that sense so there is literally a door that says new stuff here. Um, <laughs> um, but it's probably best to explain, by, explain the structure of this game. It's a game about endings, basically, Matthew. So if you follow the narrator's instructions, you'll basically reach a not particularly satisfying ending quite quickly. Um, it, probably in about like uh, under five minutes, right? And every ending in the game is a bit like this. There are some slightly longer ones, but they no playthrough of the game, quote-unquote playthrough, lasts for more than ten minutes. Really, it's a game of going back in it's like um stanley stood up from his desk and then hearing that same intro over and over again as you like begin your journey once more um and then yeah there's like um this is kind of a yeah it, so that the new stuff here thing makes it super clear and then some of that stuff spills over a bit into the old game as it was that's probably the easiest way of saying it without spoiling it um but it is it is designed to like that there is there is like a meta layer to it basically where repeating the experience is the experience you know um mm. if that makes sense so yeah 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 but yeah the new stuff um in here uh door is super handy um because you know it, it really it really is like if you've never played it before then you can just go and play the game as it was more or less that's that's cool but um yeah there's a lot more to it besides that's probably as much as i can say about it without spoiling it any mm. further matthew maybe i'll um, double bill this with high on life because i hear that they're both quite satirical views of video game conventions that's, that's a tough break for Stanley Parable. We, I mean, High on Life, like, a, a lot of people seem to be like, this is like having a bad Rick and Morty sort of, like, episode on where you're trying to play a first-person shooter or whatever. Like, this is, um, I would say it's, like, slightly arched, but pretty refined, pretty funny. Good oh, script yeah, oh, no, no, I, 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 was, <laughs> I, was being, I was being facetious and, and imagining this to be much better than High on Life. Yeah, I mean, I, do you know, though, I'm yet to play High on Life, and I might love it, so I will play that over the break. I and, mean, um, I've yet to see a clip it. on it on Twitter, which hasn't made me kind of wince, but... <laughs> Noted. Okay. Um, what's your number eight, Matthew? Well, apart from It's Me, Blorto, which is obviously, oh. which is obviously sublime. I assume uh, you're getting royalties for that one, aren't you, uh, pal? Yeah, you get royalties for that one? I better. <laughs> uh, some, someone there wrote at least one amazing joke. Uh, <laughs> Uh, my next pick is Proteus. Oh, nice. First-person shooter, right? First-person shooter. Um, it is part of the wave of boomer shooters. Now, I'm, I'm going to put my hand up and say for, for the longest time, I didn't make the connection between the nickname boomer shooter and, you know, boomers being, you know, the generation, a couple of generations before us. I thought they were literally talking about these in terms of, like, they had big booms in them. Um right because i'm a dumbass um wait wait no i thought that too oh no apparently, I thought that too. It's, uh, uh, apparently it's like oh it's the shooters your dad like and your dad's a boomer 
That's disappointing. That's yeah. like that's that's poor. That's like these are Gen Xers as well. These aren't people who fucking well, listen to Bob Dylan and then yeah, fucking play the Queen. You like, know what that, I mean? That that is that is absolute bullshit. Like that suggests. <laughs> Yeah, you'd have to have been like forty when Doom came out and been into Doom, and I doubt there were many like reasonable forty-year-olds playing Doom in the nineties. <laughs> reasonable, um, <laughs> what you know, that like mean? your reasonable father. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, playing his reasonable clarinet. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> and he loves the saboteur. The saboteur. Now that's a boomer shooter. Um, <laughs> oh, it definitely is actually. What with the uh, DLC uh, nudity and, and such. Um, <laughs> anyway. What Proteus is part of is this uh, wave of like retro FPSs that basically draw their inspiration from 90s shooters, uh, you know, the likes of Doom, Quake, um, basically the pre-narrative shooters, pre-Half-Life, I would say. Um, they are about just incredibly fast action, uh, running around often quite abstract video gamey spaces. You know, they are worlds, science fiction worlds. Proteus is a science fiction world. Um, but it feels like explicit level design, if that makes sense. You know, you, it's kind of like key cards and winding corridors and pillars and jumping challenges you know they're not trying to sell it as you're going to immerse yourself in this world it's just a very pure place for action to happen um proteus is uh kind of it looks like doom fed through a crazy modern filter in that the enemies are like digitized sprites so they look like 2d and flat but it has very cutting edge like lighting shadows particle effects which kind of let which makes it look incredibly modern it's it, it you know static shots you might think oh this looks very old hat but the second it starts to move and the second the kind of shit hits the fan it suddenly becomes so beautifully cutting edge it's it's just a, such a delightful effect like that is a big part of its appeal just how cool this world looks you know you shoot the most fucking 90s looking exploding barrel <laughs> you've ever seen but the explosion that comes out of it is just a searing like 4k modern death explosion it's it's a very satisfying way it's very satisfying the way this game like blooms into a modern shooter in that mm. way um i i love shooting enemies in this game because like i say they are like sp- digitized sprites but the gore that comes out of them is like physically modeled so like where it splats on the wall it kind of sticks you know after a fight the rooms are just covered in blood like exactly showing you where the fight played out you know it's almost kind of like like imagine these 2d characters have got a kind of like I was going to say like not an inner life, but they've got like an inner um, biology that you're kind of spilling everywhere. It's it's just it's a it's a really delightful idea that you're like cracking them open and getting to the gore. Rick Lane, in his very good Eurogamer review of this, likened the blood to Splatoon, which once I read that, I now can't unsee it. Um, like how the blood sticks to everything, it is like violent Splatoon. Um, Really, I don't have too elegant a case for this game other than it looks amazing, the guns feel amazing. I think the minigun in this is probably one of the best video game guns I've ever used. Um, and this is a game that understands that not only is it important to have like a minigun which feels great in the hands, but to often give you like a room of 20 generic goons to just absolutely liquefy with it. Um mm. If you do anything after this podcast, play this game until you get the minigun because it instantly drops you in a room. And if you do not like what happens in that room and the chaos you unleash with that weapon, I, you know, maybe the shooting genre just isn't for you. 
Um, it's just <laughs> so sublimely entertaining. One of the best moments I played in a game this year. Um, other than that, uh, just a very like fast-moving shooter. What I like about the levels is that they're kind of long enough to establish like a gimmick or an idea like this level's about snipers this level's like very platform heavy but they're also short enough that they never outstay their welcome and you can kind of dip into this game for like a little 10 minute or 15 minute blast it's very Mm. sort of elegantly structured and done it's it's you know like doom eternal as much as i loved it like a lot of its levels are quite long slogs and this just feels like much faster on its feet um yeah it's really good this um how dare you take a shot at Doom Eternal to praise this game? No, 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 like, I, I, no. <laughs> that, that's unfair, but I do love Doom Eternal. But like Doom Eternal is like a, oh, I have to sit down and kind of commit to it for a bit. Like mm. this game, I ha- I've been playing in very little bursts. You know, like, oh, I've got 15 minutes before tea. I'll pop into Proteus and I'll mint some people with that minigun for a bit. And it, it, it almost plays to the game's strengths in that way, in that, you know, while there are differences between the levels like i say there's like a a kind of hook to everything you know it's fundamentally like mincing a lot of the same enemies over and over again like i don't i wouldn't want to play this game for like three hours non-stop but dropping in just enough time to remind yourself like how good the guns feel and then popping out again is just right um it's a real like palate cleanser albeit like incredibly grisly yeah, yeah, just start, like, and, it, you know, again, like with the shooter mops, I'm not going to claim to be, like, the biggest uh, expert or advocate of those 90 shooters. You know, I was playing point-and-click games when other people were playing, like, Doom and Quake. I can't really speak too eloquently about those games. Um, but, you know, this captures what I remember of the era, but also feels suitably modern. It's, you know, I, I also played Cultic this year, um, which riffs quite heavily on blood, um, which I which I which I liked a lot. I thought I thought was pretty solid, but I just I thought this had like an immediacy to it, uh, which yeah, just just really spoke to me. Yeah, this um this is a this is a genre that's you know in quite good form at the moment, right? Like there's mm. you got this, and as you mentioned, Celtic came along, but also there's um uh, I think Ultra Kill had another chapter this year. That is a game that people seem to really fucking like. So I'm mm. uh, a bit more of an acrobatic sort of shooter, I think. My question for you actually was um, because the thing I think that when I played that Quake remaster, they did the thing that I had completely forgotten about 90 shooters, how densely, almost like dungeon like the. Um, the level design was like the there was a puzzle in figuring out how you actually get through it and get to the end right. and like unlock certain doors and that sort of stuff is that part of the dna here or is it uh, is it is it more like you know just kind of like waves of enemies and get to the finish line kind of thing no it it has the f- it it almost feels like your memory of those levels but they are they're they're designed with a more modern sensibility i think they're a bit mm. more accessible i think that the central through line is a bit more obviously planned out um, I'm not saying they like shepherd you through them, but a lot of the levels are, are quite neat loops that you end up exiting where you enter and you realise you've just gone around the houses. And I never felt lost. You know, there, there are definitely like secrets in this which tap into the older way of things. You know, there's kind of, well, how the hell do I get above that? And maybe there'll be a secret door or a bit of a wall you can shoot and something will appear. I, it's, I, I wouldn't say it's designed for you to spend hours in the level picking them apart you know it's it's the difference between do you want to run through this level in 10 minutes or maybe take a bit more time in 15 minutes and discover its secrets but you know it, they look and feel like your old doom levels but yeah but you're never i, I never had that moment which i used to have in like 
equate a lot of like you could get to a point where you're basically walking around an empty level trying to work out what the fuck to do <laughs> uh, that yeah that like never happens here you know like it it, it has that like m- like modern not hand holding or i don't know if it, it must be like part of just you know the modern design sensibility i think the the two guys who made it were like x raven guys right um, okay that makes I think sense. They worked a lot on of sense. Sing- yeah singularity i think one of them also left and worked at starbreeze for a bit mm-hmm. so yeah it, yeah it's kind of like it's not like modern level there's not a lot of like narrative baked into the levels but there's maybe like a bit more you know a bit more sense of place than you might have in a in a just like a doom one level say but um yeah visually kind of looks rising slightly of serious sam actually in terms of like i don't know where it sits on the sort of like timeline of first person shooters like it kind of like feels like it straddles the areas a little bit it's like like you say so it's kind of um a tough one to call but this is on game pass isn't it so there's no excuse not to play it it's sat right there so yeah, yeah. it's great i mean I, I just think you know from the first gunshot and seeing these enemies just go to pieces that you're like you're either in or you're out on this one yeah um well, and if you're in stick with it because it like it gets so violent it's really like it's the kind of game it's, it's what you're like mum thinks video games are you know it's just a, <laughs> a delight <laughs> Yeah, and uh, yeah, who can resist when um, it's made by two people who used to work at the Soldier of Fortune 2 developer, Matthew? That's a big win, big win for us. Um, okay, great, I'll check out Proteus. That was your number eight, wasn't it? Yes. Okay, um, my number eight is Arcade Paradise. Um, I've discussed this on a previous episode, I think one of the What We've Been Playings. Uh, a friend who is connected with the publisher for this one just gave me a code, said, oh, you want to check this out? And I had no expectations, it was not on my radar at all, I knew nothing about it whatsoever. Reddit was this kind of like arcade management sim, but then you could play the games um, while you were managing it. And I thought, well, that sounds pretty cool. Um, but got a fucking rotten cold after Gamescom, so installed it on my Steam Deck, um, lay in bed for a week just playing this, basically. And it's like, it's it's like it's the it's the truest heart pick on my list. I would say um, mm. a game I was not expecting to sort of love. I wondered if maybe like the arcade scene that it kind of taps into is is maybe slightly before my time, like more of an early nineties, late eighties arcade scene. Right. Um, but that didn't really hold it back. So the, the, there's there is a kind of story loop to this game. It starts with you managing this, uh, basically a laundrette. And then um, over time, you basically you clean out this back room and you start adding a couple of arcade machines there and um, people start dropping in to play the arcade machines as well as using the laundrette. And then over time, you're basically building uh, an arcade where the laundrette once was. And you're doing this while your uh, father in the game, played by um, Doug Cockle, the uh, voice actor behind Geralt of Rivia, um, basically is calling you to express his disapproval as he slowly realizes what your plan is. Does uh, he do it in Geralt voice? No, he sounds nothing like him. Um, oh. I, th- I mentioned there's a really naff Geralt reference in this game previously. That's like that's a that's a tough hang. That, oh, that you reference. walk in on your dad in the bath with his legs over the side. <laughs> yeah, like uh, yeah, just sort of like chatting up Kiramets. Uh, <laughs> um, the arcade games are they feel like they're all kind of made in a game jam or something. Like uh, I would say, only a few of them are sort of stand out, and I would say that the management sim elements around it are also like just quite good but this is an entire game of just quite good things hanging together like mm. um and as a whole it adds up to something really satisfying like the the journey through the game i think it took me about 16 hours to finish something like that it's not not super sure and that and then like packing your arcade out with like all of these machines getting more advanced machines as you go sort of getting these slightly like 
F0E wipeouty ones and then like um you know the the pool game in it's really good and uh like there's a size so um a twin stick shooter that's pretty good as well and like it's it's really satisfying to just to just see that lawn that really naff dirty laundrette convert into this like full scale arcade that doesn't really exist anymore certainly not in the UK mm. um and it seems to be dying everywhere anyway but yeah i just i found it really appealing i did not think this would be my sort of thing then it absolutely was mm. so uh any thoughts on that one matthew I, I i know i have to give this a go like i i really like the idea of the kind of sort of almost zen simulator of everyday work and then the kind of fake arcade machines sound really fun i wonder what would happen if they ever like could team up with like sega to do like a licensed you're building like a classic sega arcade or something yeah that feels like it's just um uh, uh, that feels like the natural next route for this doesn't it because how the game works it basically rewards you it gives you daily goals um and those daily goals correspond to the arcade machines themselves it'll be like play this game for a certain amount of minutes or um kill a certain number of enemies in this game and you can imagine that being like you know kill 30 enemies in space harrier or something you know what i mean like Mm. it's it could transfer like perfectly and the branding would be so so good and obviously sega's done sega's big into repackaging its retro games anyway right and putting them in different forms you Mm. know having them in yakuza etc so yeah i just want doug cockle ring you up and going son i found a ghost squad machine (laughs) (laughs) this is massive dad um yeah he's also he weirdly sounds like ed begley jr when he's on the phone to you he doesn't sound like weirdly i just i got that vibe from him but yeah, no, I agree. I agree with you. That'd be that'd be rad. Um, but yeah, this is this is great. Like it's it's not that expensive. I think it's under twenty quid. But mm. in a Steam set, it's bound to like hover closer to ten, and it's well worth it for that. Like mm. I I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So um, oh, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a go for sure. Yeah, it made um, GameSpot's honourable mentions. So um, yeah, well, it did have a few. It fans. must be good. <laughs> it did have a few um a few fans across media, but I don't think it was like the seen as the sexiest uh indie thing that happened this year, but it was super, super good, really satisfying. What's your number seven, Matthew? My number seven is Marvel Snap. Holy shit, we still don't have any crossover. Wow, okay. Okay, cool. I, I'm surprised to hear you got into this. Um but uh yeah, what's uh, what's the deal? Uh, I have a very casual relationship with this game, but this was a everyone's talking about it i'll give it a little go and see if i can click with it in a way that i don't tend to click with card games like i always feel by the time i've got them they've they've like run away from me a bit or the way people are talking or they're just too complicated full stop i you know the very simple reason i like this is i think it's incredibly accessible um i think it's very beginner friendly and i am still a beginner in it i've been playing it for about a month sort of on and off but i haven't been like devouring it Uh, For those who haven't played it, you build a deck of uh, superhero cards. They're all based on Marvel superheroes. And uh, you go into a match. There are three locations and you place cards uh, with points on them. And the idea is to accrue the most points at two of the locations. Uh, Each card has a special ability often tied to the kind of character on that card. And from that comes all the mad strategies and synergies and all the kind of things people are going to write a billion SEO articles about online. But if you don't care any about that and you approach it in quite a casual way, as I do, I think it's it's still just a really it's a really fun game. It's a really fun exercise in getting your head around around these rules. Um, I actually think it's the the three locations gimmick that really makes this for me because um, the three locations in each match they're all based on different Marvel places and they change in every match and. 
you know the rule the the conditions they add to the game uh, can radically change how you think about your hand so this idea of like building a particularly winning deck or having some grand strategy in your deck uh you know i don't really have the strategic brain to think like that i you know that's what scares me off other card games here i feel i have you know a smattering of stuff in my hand i go in i see what locations it gives me and then i work out on a match by match basis like what i'm gonna do and that's why i like it i think it's a really reactive flexible malleable card game that allows you to improvise sometimes you'll go in and go well i'm fucked all these cards are horrible obviously better players will negate that and we'll have a deck which somehow suits every board but if you just like the challenge of going in and seeing what you can do every time in quite a fast moving game matches about two seconds uh two seconds two minutes long (laughs) um this is yeah just a very enjoyable time yeah every time i get a new card i'm like oh cool let's see what this does and i'll add it into my deck and have a little play with it um it's just it's just very fun beautifully made amazing production values like the way it like each card, when you place it, it, it animates like the hero. So, you know, Spider-Man will have, like, webs coming out of it or whatever. And uh, annoyingly, the Ant-Man card, when you place it, it shrinks to the point where I'm always like, have I picked it up? Oh, is there a card under my finger? Because it's smaller than my big fat finger. So I'm looking <laughs> at the thing going, where am I actually putting this? Have I got Ant-Man? Have I fucked up? It gets me every single time. Um but yeah, I just yeah, I, I I like this on a casual level. I haven't looked it up, you know. I don't I don't care, you know. If the, if there are bigger problems with the fucking meta of this game, they have not emerged to me on my, you know, lunchtime dabblings. And it's just a card game that I like, you know. I, probably the only card game outside of Witcher Three Gwent, rather than the hard Gwent they made afterwards, that I just understand and feel like I stand a chance at. Yeah weird i've grown weirdly attached to to some really weird marvel characters that i know nothing about um Which ones? my my winning combination my mega deck <laughs> is uh it's the power coupling of white tiger and odin <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't think you can buy a comic book in 2022 that's got both of those characters in it um, well they should in... be in a film together because they are incredibly <laughs> potent in Marvel Snap, and I would love to see that pairing on screen. Anthony Hopkins, White Tiger, they could cast as whoever. I don't really know. Michael Jai White. Uh-huh. <laughs> Michael Jai White. Mate, I don't. Is it a woman or is it a man? Uh, oh, is it a female White Tiger? I don't really know. I can't really tell from the art. I thought White Tiger was a Daredevil character. Um, they're very, they're, they're, it, they're yeah. fully in a white bodysuit, but whenever they right. turn up, they basically make a, a big phantom tiger appear on another spot. And Odin's power is he reactivates her or him, and that makes another tiger appear, which paired with the locations which allow you to clone cards or repeat certain actions, you can basically fill everywhere with fucking ghost lines. It's just wild. It just looks like a, a fucking Siegfried and Roy magic act just gone haywire. Every time <laughs> it happens, it really makes me laugh. Basically, I play this game to wait for the locations that let me throw loads of tigers everywhere. That's the <laughs> level I'm connecting with this game, and that's why it's my seventh favourite game of the year. <laughs> No, no, that's good. I, I like. Uh, I think uh, to clarify, as with any Marvel character, I think there's about five or six different white tigers. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, I think I was thinking of an older one. But um, anyway, yeah, like I think like having a casual relationship with this game is the right way to get into these games because I think that when you get to the point where 
you are you know enough about it that you feel like you should be winning some games it can like start to break your love with it a little bit because yeah. you start getting too competitive or you don't understand the level on which people are, are working or like um in the case of hearthstone they had a load of new classes or cards you don't really understand so you don't feel like you can dip into it maybe as much as you once did. So I think like maybe the way you're playing it is the way it's meant to be enjoyed, Matthew, for most people. Well, yeah, um, well I haven't paid a penny for it either. Like it's all been free and I've you know had tens of hours of entertainment out of this for free. So yeah, I, 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 what's not to love? Yeah, very generous. I, I can't doubt that about yeah. it. Oh, it's um, so beautiful. Like the animations on the cards and the card designs and you sort of upgrade them. And they become like more complex, like how they they become like three D layered and three D animated, and they have like I don't know shiny variants or whatever. And it's it's just uh, really lush, you know. Yeah, very impressive. Mm, okay, cool. Yeah, I did enjoy this. The only reason I didn't want to, I kind of deleted it off my phone though, because um, basically I, I found myself in a pattern with another very compulsive game that I think we'll get to later right. on the list, and like that. I, I just felt like I was making a choice because I thought, what is the end point for me with this game? It's me just playing it until I eventually get too competitive and get annoyed and then have to delete it anyway. Right. So let's just cut out the middleman and get rid of it. And like, despite me thinking it was very good and that the it was very simple to learn, but obviously very tricky to master, and that it did make very good use of its license. Um, obviously, the Uncle Ben card, um, destroying that to get Spider-Man, that's amazing, of course. Uh, um, apparently, that's, that's been... not real. Oh, isn't it? Is that a joke? That's oh. an urban legend. Oh, okay. That's a, that's a real shame. Yeah, it's a real um, bummer because I've been waiting to see that. You know? <laughs> I've been like, damn. oh, come on. But it, I mean, there are other funny ones of like, you know, certain mad things can happen, you know, when certain characters behave a certain way. I think it's, um, oh, what's her name? Is it the is it the witch from whoever the bad guy was in WandaVision? Oh, uh, Agatha. Something? Agatha Harkness, yeah. Yeah, if she's in your deck, she plays for you. You don't get to choose. Mm. so it's like an ai it becomes like an ai controlled deck but she's really powerful so if she plays herself like you'll win her spot but yeah i think that i think that's one unless that's also bullshit that someone's photoshopped i've only read about that online in fairness to me there are kotaku usa today and screen rant articles that say this is real so yeah yeah. no no absolutely like i've been telling people that as well and i looked it up saying when does this card that's the only (laughs) thing i've looked up to see how you unlock it and right. then it was like, oh, it's not actually real. I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a shame. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Good. Well, that's uh, that's that doesn't hold back this game from no, being no, number no. seven. This would list. have been if if Uncle Ben had been in it. This would have been my game of the year. <laughs> uh. <laughs> it's one dead uncle away from uh, topping the list. <laughs> tough, tough break. There. Also, uh, shout out to Studio for having an awesome name, Second Dinner. I'm on board with that. That is good. You're on board with it as a name and an idea to oh, live for, by. More as an idea than a name. Like, I'm just like, I, that, I, that, that concept is getting like uh, amplified through this game. I'm big into that. <laughs> Very good. So my number seven, Matthew, is Kirby in the Forgotten Sea. Wait, is that what it's called? Actually, Kirby in the Forgotten Land, isn't it? That's right, right. Another, yeah, land. Yeah, right, another wrong fucking name. Well done, Samuel. It's because I called it Kirby in the Last of Us for so long that I've... Uh, <laughs> I blurred out the real name. Kirby in the Forgotten Land. So, uh, is this on your list? It is not. Really? You didn't like this as much as Proteus and Drainus? I'm really surprised to hear that. Um, oh, so, it's terrible, isn't it? That's me. <laughs> we did a Kirby episode. You were the Kirby guy. <laughs> That's yeah, like the whole I thing do this really year. like it. 
Yeah, maybe it was just too long ago. Maybe it's been supplanted by like my lust for virtual gore. Well, that's fair. And like, um, th- there's definitely a bit of recency bias. I think that's inevitable when right. it comes to the end of the year. This was like, what, February or March just came out? Quite a while ago now. Yeah. Yeah, so Kirby in the Forgotten Land. So this is like kind of a 3d sort of mega kirby in the sense of like it feels like the production values are i suppose like i only have a casual relationship with kirby right but this to Mm. me felt like um how the studio being like we want to make the basically like the mario odyssey of kirby games or you know something like that they're kind of like stepping up the scale a little bit like i know you um what's that 3ds game you really rate planet roboto is it something like that yeah, 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 and I think like that was really well received, right? That was like a, a very beloved Kirby entry. Yeah, but um, still fundamentally a two D game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so this was like you know t- taking it to that three D blockbuster ish kind of like platforming kind of um, next level. Um, and I think it's really cut through, and people have really enjoyed this on Switch. I would say, as a three D platformer, it's it's like a it's kind of like a seven out of ten game with ten out of ten mechanics. Um, yeah. Like, I think that's, like, a fair way of putting it. Like, the, uh, or 10 out of 10 ideas, rather. Um, like, a level will dazzle you as Kirby just becomes, like, a roller coaster for a bit. And, yeah. um, yeah. or, like, you have to assume, um, several different shapes in order to fit into these gaps in the wall to blow them up and knock them down. Or you'll have to, like, ice skate over, basically, like, a floor of lava. That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, each level, I think, you know, manages to distinguish itself um, by by having a different idea to kind of like as, as a hook to, to to kind of kind of make you engaged with it, and then um, these different worlds across the game add these different twists. And Kirby can pick up all of these different abilities, which um, are are like meaningfully different from each other but also um each have their own kind of mini progression system where you can level them up twice more um Mm. to basically have amplified effects so um for example like you know kirby chucking fireballs is like the first version of that power by the end you are breathing dragon fire and you can (laughs) basically grow these temporary dragon wings to fly really quickly across (laughs) the environment so that's an example of how they scale these things up basically these these abilities start small then they get massive Mm. um and I found this an absolute joy to play. I thought it was, I thought it was slightly too easy. It could have used a mode, an extra mode for people who are like adults and want a tiny bit more of a challenge. And I know I sound like a dumbass saying that about a Kirby game because these games are like notoriously quite gentle. But um, mm. the the but I will say that towards the end and in some of its bonus stages, it does make more use of its mechanics and ask more from you in terms of like skill as a player, mm. and that's really good. I think you kind of alluded to this, but if you like the kind of like um, fighting God in space kind of like endings to these games, then this game does pack that, basically. It gives you a fight against basically Genova and then a fight against (laughs) Sephiroth. It gives you both of those things. So really rated that. Um, I was just surprised how much I I was kind of in love with it. My brain was just scrambled eggs um, towards the end of this year. And I just, this was a real kind of like comfort play for me. And Mm. while it didn't reach the heights of like, say, you know, any of the recent Mario games or last year, um, the uh, 3D, they reissued 3D World with Bowser's Fury. Mm. I probably didn't like it quite as much as that. Um, I think the mechanics in it, like um, all the different abilities, they're like, they only have a certain amount of precision to them. They are kind of meant to be a kind of like one button, easy to use sort of thing. There isn't a high, higher level of skill to really reach with this game um, mm. as a result, but still really liked it regardless. So um curious to hear your thoughts on this one, Matthew. I basically agree with all that. I'm, I think you're right that there are some quite stiff challenges hidden in the margins of this game, but the central thing itself is, is it's, it's almost so generous with the power. You know, it's a real power fantasy, which is which is something I sort of admire about it. That you know, games aimed at kids 
are often so sort of flat and unambitious, but this one really goes places. I love the idea that, like, I think a five- or six-year-old could play this quite comfortably um, Mm. on the ease level, and it will show them something that you'd probably normally have to wait until, like, you you know, your platinum games or something to kind of see. You know, it it really goes places. It escalates brilliantly. That I really love about it. I think it's uh, a game, from all accounts, if you read the interviews around it, where... They were having to do a lot of problem solving. You know, there's been this dream of like 3D Kirby for a long time, and there's been various projects which have been canned for various reasons. And it it feels like every time Hal's taken a little go at this, they've they've learnt a bit, but not quite learnt enough. And they finally brought it all together and made this. So that this this is sort of like a first, you know, completed attempt, and is as good as it is. I would say points towards there being like a really kick-ass version of this, you know, yeah. in a couple of years. You know, it's like, you know how to do it, you know, now just go crazy because th- th- everything's here. Everything's here. This is a good, good, good foundation. There's a, yeah, there's a world in which this is like the third pillar Nintendo series, right? Like alongside Mario and Zelda. There's that, that's like not out of the question when you play this. Um, mm. And like, you know, indeed, I felt that way after playing uh, Metroid last year, Metroid Dread last year, to, a, to an even greater extent. Um, you kind of hope that Nintendo recognizes that these things are mega important and that they, you know, they they want to they want to see those ideas push further and they want those studios to kind of get there, to get to that next creative level. Like the, I think like you say, like there is, there is like um, loads and loads of potential in this. The other thing I really love about this is like, I think that, it very nicely weaves in its optional collectibles as like things that you want to do in each level, which are mm. you know basically collecting waddle dees, these little lads that you um that you save um Kirby's pals, and um they are kind of like hidden, like I suppose uh you know like what the stars red coins are in Mario. What's the equivalent in Mario, Matthew? Um, oh, I guess well, it's different things. A different game. You know, Mario yeah. has like the three D stamps. It's got the green stars in Galaxy. Yeah, like yeah. it's the optional kind of like extra skill challenges i'd say yeah and like some of them are just like you know here's a racetrack try and get through it in a certain amount of time or whatever and yeah again you'll sometimes get more meaningful challenges than those but they're really fun to do and i, I collected every every single waddle d that was hidden around the environment across right. the game and like you know because that was otherwise i was basically just sprinting from start to finish and i think that this is kind of the way you are meant to play it but um mm. yeah really really good didn't expect to like this as much as i did but um really rate it so yeah. uh, a worthy number seven Okay, what's your number six, Matthew? My number six is Elden Ring. That's my number six as well. Wow! <laughs> oh, that's interesting. We, so, full disclosure, we had a little conversation about this the other day where we, were, I, I was, I was sort of asking, you know, what, what are you sort of thinking about Elden Ring? <laughs> and you said, well, it's it's going in the list, but you know, I'm in the placement of it. I'm just, you know trying to put it where it's fair and and whatnot and. I was likewise trying to find a position for it on the list that best reflected my thoughts towards it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very similar thought process for me. Well, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to steal your line. What you said to me the other day, I'll let, I'll let, I'll let you say that. But um, oh, I don't remember what I said. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll find that while you're talking about the game. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, obviously, you know, probably the, the, you know, the game that dominated the conversation this year, definitely for the first half of the year. I think the conversation has trailed off. You don't hear as much about it now. And I feel like 
there's been a few more interesting, not not more interesting things. I think there's been a few other interesting things which have kind of come in at late year and and mixed things up a bit. But obviously, yeah, Miyazaki's Dark Souls writ large into a sort of semi-open world, which sort of marries the intricacies that you would expect from a Dark Souls in its uh, kind of signature dungeons, but embedded in this vast landscape full of truly horrible monsters and fantastical designs and secrets that run deep for miles and take you to whole other lands. It's a a really wild thing, and I don't really feel like I need to kind of explain what Elden Ring is. My relationship with this game, uh, it's the probably the furthest I've ever got in a Miyazaki game, uh, the most I've ever played one. I have stalled in it. I stalled in what I think is the third region, which is the Plague World. Uh, whether or not that is the third region, I don't know, but I, I sort of did the opening area, and then I did the Magic School, and then I went to Plague Land, uh, where basically for about a week every time i i booted the game up i had a really rough time there and everything killed me and i didn't fall out of love with it but i just had enough and decided i had better things to do with my life which is why i was like umming and ahhing about this game because i thought well it's like not really a heart pick for me but i obviously recognize it for the achievement that it is and i thinking back on it you know i i love the time that i spent with it will i go back and finish it i honestly don't know I'd like to think I would, though pick the idea of picking this up now, all these months on, without like what limited muscle memory I had back then, fills me full of fear. But to counter that, like there are sights and scenes in this which were just so amazing, you know, like dipping into the underground and just seeing what, what lay down there, like entire new worlds, or the kind of core childhood fantasy of like, see that castle you can go in there and you can fight everything and there's going to be some amazing treasure you know it's you know it's like your core idea of what adventure is dungeons and dragons and weird forests and deep bogs and magic schools full of creepy ass magicians with stone masks and mad secrets hidden on the rooftops you know there's so much i did love about this but i um i can't in my heart of hearts say like it's you know an all-timer for me like it just didn't it just didn't uh, you know that I couldn't get over that that hurdle or that it did scare me off I think speaks to the fact that we are just on a slightly different wavelength uh me and Miyazaki and that isn't a slight on him I recognize his game um that's basically what I think <laughs> yeah I think I more or less agree with all of that um I will confess so Matthew I couldn't find what I told you about Elden Ring what did I say about Elden Ring you said like basically what you played of it was like some of your happiest memories you know of of playing games this year right yeah that is basically true yes like the 24 hours or so i did put into it i was dazzled by its secrets and and its experience as a game to go out and discover things and and see what is through that tunnel and see what is in that lake and um that is something that i always crave from games and it's something that i don't feel like i've had for many many years just a true true feeling of discovering an open world game and this game does that really well um the caveats are that yes like matthew i just um i think i saw it's part it's partly doing this podcast where there are other things to play in order to like feed the content machine i suppose um but also i think that like this has happened before to me with the these games like it happened to me with dark souls happened to me with bloodborne um sakira remains my favorite from soft game because you don't have to deal with the 
RPG-ness of it and working out is my build the right build and do I have the right weapons for this and all that stuff which I I think is just such a fucking minefield to figure out like um there, it could be times where you're basically you know butting your head up against something you don't need to be but you don't know that maybe you were meant to be doing something else that's still like a a, a thing that can happen in Elden Ring that's why like I suppose like I'm not I'm, I'm not the person who's like oh yeah this is absolutely the number one game of the year while also understanding that for most people well for many people and absolutely anyone who finished this game it will be because if i was like you were saying matthew if i was in the same wavelength as from as, as miyazaki like i would i can see a world in which yeah i am going to bat for this as like my number one pick and i but i still love what this did like i still adore the 24 hours i spent in it i may go back to it um it definitely like went down smoother for me than bloodborne and dark souls did i didn't get stuck i didn't get stuck that's the thing i didn't get stuck as such like i found a couple of dragons that fucked me up but i didn't get stuck um so that's something um and and it gave you more options to like deal with getting stuck than those than previous games did where it was just like okay well i'm a tunnel of shit now so i can get out basically um this was like a lot more generous because you know, you can move fast enough that you can go to parts of the world you're not supposed to be in yet um, yeah. and see what the deal is. And I really enjoyed doing that. Like, the risk of, you know, <laughs> being hit by two two projectiles and being killed instantly. But it was quite a thrill to kind of go through those landscapes. And, um, yeah, like, it almost had, like, more of the sort of... Um, but in much more detail, the Shadow of the Colossus open world experience where you truly can go around a corner of a cliff and then see a fucking giant monster. Um, mm. And that kind of unexpected scale that is incredibly exciting. Um, and yeah, like it's, uh, I can see why it feels like the ultimate statement from, mm. from on the types of games they make in a lot of ways because, you know, they literally, or at least they seem to reuse a lot of content from those games, which I'm, absolute, I'm absolutely, you know, I absolutely endorse because it means that they have this fucking giant pile of stuff that kind of represents everything they've made up until that point and that's really rad so mm. yeah will i go back to it i mean yeah i'm still an evil hogwarts i gotta fucking finish that bit I suppose. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah like i will i will probably do it at some point but it wasn't gonna be it's not gonna be soon basically and so yeah here's to you elden ring you still absolutely <laughs> deserve a place in this list <laughs> one of the games of the year but i've got five that are better than it um, <laughs> Imagine yeah. if I put this lower than Centennial Case. Oh, <laughs> yeah, so this is like, yeah, I suppose it is strange that it is in this place, but that's this is it. It's that that kind of pull between head and heart, right? The head says this yeah. is fucking amazing, and the heart likes likes this, but doesn't and does loves parts of it, but not all of it. You know, I just um, I wish there were like pockets of just like pure goodness occasionally in this game. I wish there was just some occasion you just happened across something which didn't have something horrible in it it's so <laughs> it's so relentlessly grim that it is it's quite hard work it really it did ground me down that's that and maybe i i think that because like the plague area is you know it's particularly ugly and it's full of these like decomposing dogs and everything in it seems a shit and i never even got to the dungeon or the boss of that area but everyone was like the boss of this area is like a total pig um, you're gonna have a really bad time of it, and yeah. it, it, yeah, it was just like a perfect storm of unhappiness that 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 stopped me from playing it. But I just, uh, yeah, I just want like just occasionally let me just find like a pond with like you know a nice rabbit jumping around that doesn't like turn into some fucking lake hag or something. You know? <laughs> yeah, I will say that like there's a spontaneity to this that I um 
that I didn't really experience in Fromm's previous games. Like, um, there was a bit where I was in the sort of, like, fiery area near the start. You know, when you're going to go off on the uh, the map to the... Uh, to the uh, where is it like the east I guess um, and there's basically the skies are red there yeah. um, and it feels like you're in Mordor suddenly and then something that resembled a Nazgul just started chasing after me on horseback and that was like the scariest raddest thing that I'd experienced <laughs> I was just like that's so so cool that that can happen in this game Yeah. so yeah like I'm just thinking that there's still 75% of the map I've not seen basically like that's that is enticing to get through at some point but um, mm. yeah just uh, just not yet Mm. um yeah okay i think that's a, a good piece on elden ring there matthew like we we like it basically yeah <laughs> um what's your it's uh, yeah i suppose it's your number five what's your number five yeah uh so my number five is case of the golden idol mm, okay that's higher than i thought it'd be but I'm, I'm pleased to see it here this is this is like grown on me um i feel like i was slightly down on it when we talked about it in the what we've been playing um mm. it's a sort of obra din like in that it's a detective game which gives you a lot of information and then you slot it into an account of, of what happened, which is uh, obviously the central mechanic of Oberdin. You walk around a ship, you collect information, and then work out how everyone died. Here it's a bit more focused in that you kind of step into individual cases, which are like little dioramas. You sort of scan them for information, collect all the nouns from the area, so like all the different objects and people, and then you have uh, a basically like a, a written account of what happened in this scene, and you have to slot everything in. So Lord Chumley was killed by a cannon fired by his butler or whatever, and then the game goes, yes, you are right, or you are wrong. And um, But the, the way that you kind of work out these scenarios is that, you you know, the, the scenes tell their story. There's, there's, like, a lot of, like, visual information you have to read. There are, like, letters on people's bodies. It's never really explicit about what you are, like, you're some kind of presence you're not a man in this world i don't feel like you're just sort of a sort of an omnipotent thing that can sort of see everyone's possessions and and like nose into any cupboard or whatever and you collect all this information and from that you have to work out what happened um but like oberdin i think it calls on a mixture of detecting abilities you know some of it is like simple logic you know if this person was in this room at this time then he couldn't have been in this room doing this murder at that time and things like that some of it's like observation of like well he's got a bit of blood on here or like mud on his shoes which means he was standing here and it gives you a a really nice range of like information and sources to pass um, which is what I loved about Oberdin and, and what I love in this. Uh, it's not as good as Oberdin. Like, if I, I, for me, like because it's it, because it is these kind of self-contained puzzles. Um, I don't think it ever gets like the mad scale and the mad ambition of of what uh, Lucas Pope did in that game. But you know, some of the later cases kind of bring the whole story together in a way which is quite satisfying. And you're asked to take deductions from previous cases and like weave them into like your final deductions in a way which is quite neat. So it does eventually reach this this more ambitious point. I just think as a, as a game which captures the thrill of being the detective, which is a thrill I always want and I'm always seeking. You know, just because it doesn't do it quite as well as Oberdin is like no reason not to celebrate this game. You know, it's quite short, short and sweet, but it 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 you know shows you quite a lot. Like because they they are self contained scenes, you you get to see many different murders in quite striking environments. As the game goes on, it, it becomes less about murders and more about 
other deductions, which is quite quite a sort of surprise. Like the third act's got a very different flavour to the first two, which which I think is is quite a fun twist on it. It's just um, yeah, a good like it's like the anti centennial case in that like you know everything it values is like the mechanics of deduction um, mm. and the thrill of kind of like really getting getting into that stuff. Yeah, I think that like that that was the the thing you struggled with when um when you were talking about it or at least that that was the barrier to you thinking this was like, you know, maybe like the highest tier of a detective game is because um Oberden set such a high standard and you were kind of like putting it up against that and that's like you know, I think I'm glad that you asked you are you have you've instead chosen to take it on its own terms. Yeah. Um in terms of like scale and like, you know, um it's it's approach to being a detective game because i think that's a better way of looking at it than trying to make that that comparison to something that is so like such lightning in a bottle game yeah um, yeah. yeah and i i just think about it a lot and like whenever i see a screenshot of it i'm fond of it you know it's got a very distinctive look everyone's got sort of their sort of ugly sort of potato faced beings and they're <laughs> all like screaming the whole time because you always enter these scenes just when someone's murdered it's you know i talked about this on the previous episode it it, it really captures the drama of like a body has been found and like how everyone wigs out it's you know kind of funny and frightening at the same time you know to sort of observe um and that that stuff is just that's sort of that that's what's sort of grown on me it's just it's it's general vibe yeah so i've kind mm. of got I've, yeah and this is you know other games i played that i really loved that i called on afterwards so uh yeah, this, yeah. this is a yeah a, a, an exception to that well, shout out to uh, I think it's said uh, Numen from um, uh, Playstack who sent us keys for this. Uh, like, listen to the podcast and was like, I "Think Matthew might like this." So, um, yeah, that was uh, yeah. that was rad. Thank yeah. you so much for it's, that. Yeah, it's it's good. A, a very a, a good you know will fill a couple of Sunday afternoons quite quite happily. This one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I've got this installed on my Steam Deck. Seems like a good Steam Deck game, doesn't yeah. it? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Good stuff, Matthew. Good. I'm pleased to hear that the uh, we've suddenly got one game between us that. Have, um, that, uh, that's cropped up across both our lists that's surprising at this point i wonder if that'll change now so mm. my number five it's me norco um oh, higher on mine but that's all right. ah, it's four okay. so we can talk about it yeah that makes sense doesn't it so um i just finished this today matthew so there is i guess a high risk of recency bias but i try to like temper that um a bit so i had heard all year about how this um point and click adventure game set in this like sci-fi slightly kind of like near future version of louisiana um this game was like just such a such a standout in terms of like world building and storytelling this year and um i had been like uh i had been like putting it putting off playing it a little bit because i was kind of curious if it would be for me um but then they did the amazing thing of putting it on xbox game pass as well as pc game pass which ensured i would play it because i don't like sitting at my fucking desk now because i work from home all the time so thank you for that um played on my xbox over the last two days uh i was absolutely blown away by the world building in this it's such an original feeling world um an original feeling story to explain the story it's kind of like you are the daughter in this family returning to your Louisiana hometown, Norco, uh, essentially when your mother has passed away and there is the lingering presence of oil corporations in the um, 
in the area and that's come to define the space to some extent in terms of the environmental damage they've done um the culture they've kind of like culture shift they've sort of unleashed and um this town is kind of like a victim swept up in it and uh, the story of your mother is is sort of tangled up in that that company somewhat and the game is about unpicking that unpicking what happened to your mother and what else is going on in this town and like um this kind of boils down to what i think is a fairly fairly trad point and click template except for the fact that there is almost like this slightly jrpg element to it where you have a little party you go around with you and you occasionally do battles where those battles just basically come down to just um, pick a character you'd like to attack pick a character you um pick a character you would like to perform an attack then pick a character you would like to attack and then you uh you basically do a kind of series of qte style prompts on screen to um pull off an attack very straightforward stuff it's not that much of it um but it's not like ever really obtuse like a mm. lucas arts adventure game it's, it goes down smooth and it's just a a great bit of world building and narrative design in a game um mm kind of like it feels like it's in the vein of kentucky route zero but i found this slightly less lardy da than that and i think that's why right, it appealed yeah, to me more yeah. keen to hear what you think matthew because um yeah it sounds like you liked it as much as i did i'll admit when the reviews first came out for this and the general buzz around it i thought it was going to be a total wank fest and just not for me i thought it it sounded very like highfalutin and actually what i love about it is i think it is really accessible um it's very funny and very it's funny. really fast moving nothing outstays its welcome like they're, they're obviously great at writing dialogue in this like the characters they establish themselves really quickly but they also like know when to shut the fuck up and they sort of say their piece and the world seems richer for it you know it has similarities in like worldview and world building to disco elysium but it's kind of like the five hour version of disco elysium Mm. Um, like it just sort of plows on f- forward and you meet all these weird people I think it helps that most of the people you interact with are quite regular people bar flies and bums and idiots and you're hanging out with regular people they're very sort of easy to sort of sympathise with or at least empathise with there are some really good jokes in this you must have fed a guy a bad hot dog at some point in this I did yes and met him outside a nightclub oh on. my god that made me laugh <laughs> um, also the um there's a PI character in your party and um, him interacting with a member of a cult near the end of the game um, in the swamp when you come across them in this swamp area. Do you know that I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, was, that made me laugh. That's a great character, that PI character. Yeah, um, yeah really it's, funny. I think that, that really helps. It really helps cut through any like potential pomposity that might come yeah, from the that's setting. Thing, right? yeah. you, you know, when people were sort of saying, you know, like, oh, it's, it's, a, it's a very particular study of, of region. It's about the gig economy. There's definitely some stuff about like alt-right movements in there. It's the kind of stuff we think, well, I, you know, I imagine I will like, agree, you know, I probably agree with a lot of this, but it's going to be a bit of a hard ride. And actually it's so light on its feet. Mm. that's what i that's what i loved about it um i thought the puzzles were fast moving i just thought it had a couple of fun puzzles in it there's a mechanic where you can record lines of dialogue that people say to you to play back to other people um Mm. which used in a couple of i thought quite a funny set piece where you're trying to sort of help a man lose faith in the people (laughs) around him by recording them at their worst which i thought that really made me laugh that was good Did, did you get the secret ending that involved that mechanic uh oh i don't know that i did probably mm. not yeah because i did and i didn't realize it was a secret ending until afterwards and i looked it up that was quite a surprise actually oh, um, right. that doesn't spoil anything for the listeners because it's quite yeah. you have to be on the lookout for it but um yeah i'll tell yeah. matthew what it is after the episode's over but, but yeah <laughs> yeah not at all what i thought 
I'm really glad I gave it a go. And yeah, Game Pass is just like what a treat this is. Yeah, that's a that's a gift from Game Pass right there. Yeah, I think as well like the the setting. I can't, you just can't under underestimate just how well the setting is brought to life with beautiful pixel art, mm. um, amazing music, and just like the sense that this this community has been battered by you know the gig economy lack of opportunity and a corporation just like destroying the environment like that lingers over the entire thing um and you really just you palpably feel it like it's about about real things but yeah it doesn't rub it in your face and yeah i really liked every character that you encountered i like like the way the game found different reasons to get you to go to the different environments again like to go home and Mm. maybe there's more in your home that you didn't know about that sort of thing and um and also just the way that the achievements would sometimes reflect your choices like um there is this doesn't really spoil anything i think it was in a demo but um really early on you meet a guy outside um uh convenience store who's been quite aggressive with you and if you knock him out um in the fight and you don't there are different outcomes i think to that encounter you get a class traitor achievement and i felt terrible after i got that (laughs) um really really good this is so good matthew i can't wait to see what our team does next um like it was so singular is like uh this is the world we want to build this is the story we want to tell just like like i say wholly original right it's just Mm. well done um okay great so i think we come to your wait hang on my number four yes um my number four is vampire survivors that's my number three amazing um this has suddenly become uh, quite a short ending to the podcast um <laughs> so as mentioned i wanted to give myself a limit of compulsive games to play this year um as mentioned tesla tanks kind of like making a beeline for my fucking the pleasure centers of my brain shocking it i just had a i try and like ever since i got addicted to rocket league i've tried to like curtail that a bit and just try and focus on things that have at least some kind of like forward momentum so you're not just playing the same kind of thing over and over again so this game this game is uh kind of like a sort of shooter game but you don't do anything other than choose which weapons to automatically fire uh, against hordes and hordes of enemies now i first heard about this when well it, it kind of became a viral success and joe came on the podcast and i think put it in the indie games hall of fame volume two i think that's what mm. we did and then finally played it myself like um like about a week or so ago and um my first thought was is this it is this all this game is and then uh, i had played it for four hours in a row and hadn't moved from the spot and um <laughs> that kind of sums up what this game is like so those weapons might be a a whip and then uh, your character will just automatically whip um, around you, and then you can kind of aim where your character is facing to hit enemies with the whip. Um, you might get garlic, which creates like this basically protective layer around you, so it'll damage enemies who come uh, within a kind of close radius to, to you. Uh, you'll get like um, these sort of spinning Bibles, basically, that will knock enemies aside. You'll get like magic wands, fireballs, all kinds of stuff. And it's kind of a game about sort of like building a beautifully automated clockwork kind of guy who could just like (laughs) (laughs) unleash loads and loads of damage and become this self-perpetuating death machine um to finish these levels and i think that is really addictive in itself um, because the the ongoing like um progression system within the game is accumulating these abilities and leveling them up and that includes like increasing the amount of damage they do and also the radius of the attacks which is really important um, because Mm. that um, because the screen will swarm with hundreds and hundreds of enemies to kill and then uh, the but what i think is the true magic of this is when you start the game you don't have everything that the game has to offer 
There is a, a meta progression system where you unlock new, um, where you, you unlock boosts to your like health and your to your, to the speed of your attacks, that sort of thing. So you can progressively get better in that respect. You unlock specific characters um, by playing different uh, different levels as different characters and, and unlocking um, unlocking more and more options. And these characters have different buffs and that sort of thing. Um, and there are so many ways to play it that it becomes like it's not just in the moment satisfying it's like there is a larger feeling of progression to this game that i think is the real secret source to it the feeling that it is changing as it goes um mm. and and means it's not just like another flappy bird you know what i mean like that's yeah like why don't you take it there from there matthew because i've been talking for a long time no no i mean i, I think you've, you've put it really well i mean you know it's interesting you sort of described it as a shooter i keep thinking of it as like it's almost like a. It has the power curve of like playing thirty hours of an action RPG like Diablo, um, but boiled into thirty minutes. So in the course of a level, you go from being the weakest you are to like the the most powerful being you could possibly be that you can push back like thousands of people, and that's incredibly satisfying. You know, I think it's tapping into the same bit of your brain that like slowly optimizes a build over a campaign in a bigger action RPG. But here you're doing it constantly afresh and then the character is, you know, the level's over and that character is gone and you start from the beginning again. So it's like such incredible highs for such like a low level of investment um, that it's like completely throwaway, but also hugely compelling um, when you're in the thick of it. And I think you're absolutely right that the the kind of key ingredient for me is, is like the achievement system, which unlocks new weapons new characters new areas new mechanics there's like a quite a key power up that comes in like i don't know if you want if you can say halfway through the game like it's hard to gauge how this game really works in time but there's a there's like a sort of tarot card system which adds like an extra layer of power ups on what is achievable like in the game and Mm. that gives you like further opportunity to like create just a truly absurd you know damage dealing builds but ne- but at the same time while it's always layering on this stuff there is a sense that it's like finite you know i think you can like work your way through that achievement list and be done with this game like you can see the end of it it isn't mm. just an eternal loot grind like a destiny you know it doesn't have the 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 the, the just endless stretch of random number generation that defines so many of these rpgs it's kind Mm. of you can unlock everything you can see everything and then step away from it i already kind of have stepped away from it i love it and i will dip into it occasionally but i i also feel like i've sort of i've seen what i need to see of it and i loved what i saw of it yeah that's exactly i think i'm almost at that point too it gives you all these moments that like where you feel like captain america with thor's hammer in avengers endgame where you're like <laughs> yeah. you've got like fucking like four different minecarts going from side to side wiping enemies out while these like <laughs> these bibles spinning at 200 miles an hour like mincing enemies and like <laughs> i it's like i've you know that's sat there i'm sat there on my exercise bike playing this thinking i've never been this powerful while pedaling in my underpants and a really sweaty <laughs> t-shirt like that's like that's what this the kind of high this game gave me this year um <laughs> Yeah, I do, I that's, do agree that's, that's got a big print magazine energy, uh, print ad <laughs> energy. You're on an exercise <laughs> bike, and it's like you're the ultimate hero. <laughs> right down to like, yeah, right down to like 2003 era, like print uh, media yeah. um, content, obviously. Uh, yeah, so 
really just really just sublime just put a smile on my face so many times and like even if you have a build that goes bad because of the like larger progression system you can the gold you earn you can just spend on power-ups that go into your next playthrough so it doesn't feel like you're wasting time it always gives mm. you something for your efforts and i think again like that's where it differentiates it from other games to where the, the compulsive loop is just all there is to the game i think there is more to this that makes it worthwhile so not surprised to see this crop up on so many lists um i guess it is kind of a, a rare type of uh sort of breakout here like it's quite you know it, it looks superficially looks quite lo-fi i also did find it very funny that I've bought an Xbox Series X this year, and the the I've chose to use that power with basically like four hundred sprites being um, put on screen in this game while my dudes like uh, yeah whipping it, uh, whipping and throwing fireballs at high speed. Really good stuff. There's there's always this constant sense of like, has he just ripped all of this from like a Castlevania sprite sheet? <laughs> like it's got big like uh, kind of like Game Boy Advance Castlevania visual energy. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he hasn't. Oh no, no, he, no! Absolutely not. But you never know. It's got a good sense of humor as well. Like some of the characters have got really goofy. There's like weapons and things. There's like a uh, guy who's got these exploding cats, and like the more you upgrade it, like the more exploding cats run onto the screen, and it's just it's yeah. just silly. Someone's having a wet. The the the, the it's like one guy, isn't it? Uh, Luca Galente, right, um, right? And I think it just clearly having a whale of a time, just putting loads of mad bullshit in this game <laughs> yeah it's like there, there's at least half the characters where they you're like why are you doing this why are you in this battle kind of a situation yeah. um yeah uh yeah really really good uh, um, do, do you have a, f- a favorite weapon um i think i just really I, the thing is like a, a, a playthrough that's got garlic in it feels like you kind of need it i think or at least you don't you can't go without yeah. it but if i don't get garlic i'm annoyed i don't have garlic you know yeah. what i mean it's, the, um, it's, it's yeah. always the foothold for like my best runs exactly yeah so like while you can compensate for a lack of garlic with the spinning crosses and then like the bibles and stuff like it's not the garlic does all of it so it's like yeah um <laughs> it's tough it's tough to go without it what do you have a favorite apart from that matthew yeah uh, i'm a big garlic and uh bible uh combo per you know because if, if my bibles don't get you the garlic will so it's, <laughs> that's that's the level i like the feeling when you've got to like the last because each game's is each thirty minutes it goes for yeah, then you yeah. finish the level. Um, when you get to like that twenty minute mark and you've you've know you've got this self perpetuating kind of like you know killer killer character, it's so satisfying to just like walk into a wall of like a hundred enemies and just watch them all like dissolve. That's like yeah, yeah. such a satisfying loop in this game, or even just like going to pour myself a cup of tea and just leaving it on uh, on, <laughs> on play because I've created such a good character. I know I'm going to be fine uh, kind of thing. Um, yes, uh, really, really good. I'm pleased we both like this one mm. because um doesn't feel like, doesn't seem like my sort of thing on paper, but I think, it, that, I think a lot of people have that journey with this game. You know, they think, oh, mm. you know, it costs almost nothing. So even if it's not for me, maybe I'll just give it a try and then everyone's loved it. So um, yes, uh, good stuff, Matthew. So we're on to my number three. Is that right? Yes. Okay, my number three is Sifu. Oh, uh, not on my list. Yes, so this game is from Slow Clap, the developers of Absolver, um, who I think before that were like former Ubisoft developers. Uh, so this is like a martial arts game where the twist of it is if you die, you age each time you come back to life. And if you're doing well in a level, that 
aging will be fairly lean if you're doing badly you can age years at a time and your character will visibly become older will visibly change um over the course of the game um at first this mechanic is utterly defeating and so so sad because as someone who has wasted years of his life on grudges um (laughs) um, it is quite sad to see this but it's this revenge story this person you become literally become like 45 um across like when they started as 20 becoming 45 of the course of a level because you fucked up so bad that is tough but um big magazine games editor uh, (laughs) energy as well yeah absolutely and the thing is that you carry through that you carry through your age to the next level so if you even there are five levels in total if you reach like the third level and you're 60 you're not going to get to the end that's the thing so mm-hmm. you have to replay it you have to replay it and the combat is third person brawling um in the style of something like well if you've played absolver that's definitely like the t- a touch point here but like god hand is a good touch point here um trying to think what else is a good touch but i guess like even like the arkham games a little bit just sort of like close quarters um fast combat counter-attacking dodging that sort of thing um it's really really kinetic and exciting combat like it's just fundamentally extremely exciting to watch it's also a really frustrating game um and i think it's slightly over designed it's got this game has four different ways to block or parry I think like it's so you you got like you've got like a a a sort of like an evade move where he'll sort of like jump backwards from an enemy or jump to the side you've got an evade where you stand on the spot and you can either evade high or low attacks and then you've got a parry button which is where the timing is super opaque that's like one of my biggest problems of the game Mm. really opaque compared to something like Sekiro where the parrying is fucking perfect and does exactly what it should this is a bit more like I'm like you know at the end of the game and I don't understand how the parry system exactly works like sometimes right. it seems to work sometimes it doesn't and i'm not the only player who said that um is in pc gamers review it's all over reddit but anyone who asks about it on reddit it's like well sounds like you're a fucking new basically kind of responses and you're like okay great can't have a constructive conversation about difficulty on the internet obviously um but in spite of that so cinematic so exciting and there really is a sense of mastery to it and it's like it's less cruel than it seems at the start it's like it has um it lets you unlock a, a wider move set that you can take across playthroughs and if you can get through a level dying less it will change your progress so each time let's say like um you you get to level three and you're 60 years old now you, what if you replay if you replay the first two levels you get it down to 30 years old that progress is saved and you are can always start that level at 30 years old oh, okay. that is really fair i think um yeah. and so that like allows you to build you know at the same time this that you're able to like bring down that and increase your odds you're getting better at the game and that's where the skill curve kicks in and really works um the bosses are a fucking pig in this i don't think they quite nailed them personally (laughs) this is an 8 out of 10 from a studio that i think will one day absolutely make a 10 out of 10 like that's what i feel about this game like they know how to make this these brawling games exciting and like hard but fair and just like amazing to look at really really rate it matthew i'm guessing this is not exactly your sort of thing no i, I haven't even tried it which is which is pretty bad given like what what a big game it was this year um i just yeah like the chat around it and not not in like a negative way not like people were kind of you shouldn't play this you're you know, you're too weak to play this or anything just the, the the kind of people who are really getting into it are also the kind of people on my twitter feed who are like super into the minutia of fighting games 
this doesn't sound like it's for me in the same way that fighting games aren't for me, but I'm obviously wide of the mark on that because um, four defensive systems aside, uh, this, <laughs> this does sound pretty cool. I've read so much about it. I don't know why I haven't tried it. It's dumb. I'm dumb. Yeah, well, truthfully, like I don't, I don't know if like, and I, I haven't finished this. I haven't beaten the final right. boss. Like you know, confession time. Uh, the final boss is a fucking nightmare. But uh, like, it's it's not like. I don't think you can fully master it in the way you can fully master Sekiro. I think like there's still a couple of things about it that are just too opaque for you to ever feel right. like you got that, or or bosses that require you to not do certain things or to do certain things. But yes, there there are there are moments you reach where you truly are super powerful and you unlock all these cool abilities that you just when you started the game you just didn't have that in your armory. Like the the coolest one I think Matthew being that like um, you can kick objects on the ground towards enemies like a table or like a you know something like that. And so again, really feels like martial arts film vibe when you add that to your you know to the things that you can do in in each level. Um, really really good. The levels look beautiful as well. This is kind of almost like painterly style to it kind of like mm. or maybe like woodworky kind of style to it it's just um yeah very confident visual style um there i will say as well this i don't know if this will make it more appealing to you but they did add um three it's got three difficulty modes now which it didn't at launch it just had normal at launch now it's got an easy mode so i don't know if that would be more appealing to you or if you're like me and you feel like you need to force yourself through the ringer to like mm. get to feel like you've had the proper experience um but yeah, e- easy adds a big stinky cloud of garlic, a la vampire survivors. <laughs> easy adds a waddle d who just kicks the shit on the, out of the enemies on the side. A waddle d with like a bandana. Um, yeah, he's fucking rad. That guy, he knows what he's doing. Uh, yeah, um, so it's really good. It's like the kind of like uh, yeah, it's closest I've seen to like a Matrix style game, I guess. And like um, there is like a on that on the spot dodging when you do learn it. And you do start to like pick apart a boss who has given you so much trouble, you know, like two hours ago. That is amazing. You really do feel yourself learning it in real time. So, mm. um, so yeah, really t- good. Like, uh, could you see this team like being interested in or being given like a, you know, like a Matrix license or a John Wick license? <sighs> it's hard to say. Like, it's kind of like a. This is like a. This is like a double A kind of game really like if this mm. is a 360 era this would be a 40 pound box game you know what i mean like it's right it's that scale of game to me um even though it only has five levels and they are theoretically short you will play this I, how long to beat says nine hours that's a fucking lie there's definitely at least 10 hours has to go into doing this in my opinion right. um but uh i don't i don't know like i mm. i don't know if there is exactly a perfect fit for it because obviously if you bring guns into it, it becomes like a very different deal and if it was john wick you would have to have guns in it um mm. but i'd like to see them try like i think they've mm. got the like i say they've got the potential to make a 10 i did see that that guy that lionsgate guy saying we want to make a triple a john wick game and i was like that'd be fucking rad i hope that happens um in my lifetime that'd be cool but uh yeah Path of it's neo 2 baby <laughs> It's what they, yeah, they'd have to, yeah, they'd have to, you know, really kind of dial back the sort of quality levels, but I think they could do it. Um, so, yeah, Sifu. Um, did Catherine play this at all? Oh, I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember it being played in the house. This is more mm. of a dwarf romantic house. So this is this is what you play before you play dwarf romantic. This kind of like they cancel each other out. I think totally. <laughs> so that's my number three. What's your number two, Matthew? My number two is Signalis. Ah, wow, that is unexpected, but very cool. Is this in your list? It's in my honourable mentions. Oh, okay. Mm. A top-down take on survival horror. Um, 
you are a character looking for uh, someone in a science fiction facility. It's attached to some mines. Um, the nature of where you are and who you're looking for, you unravel as the game goes on. It's quite mysterious and abstract in a kind of Silent Hill manner, but I actually find it for the meat of the game a lot more Resident Evil. I think it feels like a Resident Evil game that turns into a Silent Hill game, kind of like in the, like the last act. This is a game that taps into that era anyway of like PlayStation 1, Resident Evil and Silent Hills, uh, and I think it made me realise how much I enjoy the kind of building blocks of that genre and people don't tap into them as much anymore or people think they're a little outdated and have sort of moved on and actually I, I really enjoyed rediscovering those um it made me realize that something I really enjoy about survival horror is actually the chore of managing my inventory plotting routes and that thing where you almost have to like risk your safety against efficiency it's the idea of being in a location which is full of enemies you can't take them all out. You're trying to work out what shall you take with you, knowing that you also need to leave inventory space to pick up the items in the rooms that you're going to. You know, some people who haven't got on on as well with this game, or its inventory system at least, say it's a game where you just endlessly run back to your inventory box to drop stuff off. And that is true, but it's also a game where you try and enter a very deadly space with as little equipment as possible so that you can maximize your collecting time in that space i i personally find that dilemma super engaging you know it really really spoke to me i don't think this is half the game it is without those limited inventory slots i think it has like the magic of survival horror that makes you kind of excited about what's behind every new door. Like the world is very compelling, the, 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 you know, discovering the nature of the facility you're in, the idea that you have all these door keys, a bit like Resident Evil, like they're like named keys that you're trying to get to open them. And you go in and inside that room, is it going to be something horrible? Is it going to be something useful? Is it going to be the item that finally gives some context to another puzzle elsewhere that you didn't understand? You know, it's very like meat and potatoes stuff stuff you know when when you put it alongside like your old school like resident evil one or zero but again i just i just really dig that particular format um i think it also like modernizes it in certain ways i think the storytelling is quite sophisticated in that you have this top-down view but occasionally pulls you into these like first person dream sequences you know there is a, a dreamy sort of silent hill element compared to you know, Resident Evil, quite black and white, good, bad, kill the big monster at the end energy. But it also has a, a, a little glimmer of what I like about no-codes games, like mm. interfacing like with like weird machinery, both devices you find in the world and interact with, and you also carry this like transistor radio, which you have to tune in to like solve various puzzles, fight certain enemies, and that kind of like weird interface and the kind of inherent spookiness of like shifting a dial and the crackle turning into something which you know may help you or may just freak you out like it there's uh that felt like quite a modern edge like it felt like it has a few mechanics like completely of its own embedded in this quite traditional format um yeah i just i, th I just thought this was great like 
a really good mood piece, a really good mechanical survival horror. Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> the only reason it's not on my list is because I just haven't finished it yet. I'm about, I think, like three hours in, and I think it's like a nine-hour game, ten-hour game. Right. So yeah, yeah. I, I didn't want to talk. I, I didn't want to pick it without having the confidence in where it goes, um, because there are some bits that made me think, "Oh, do I miss everything about old school survival horror games? Right. Do I miss the combat?" This is a slightly different the combat here, but yeah. do I miss do I miss the inventory management? Like it just it made me ask those questions in the first yeah. few hours. I thought I would at least like to know how I feel about it having reached the end of the game before making that call. But yeah, that's that's, that's fair. Yeah. I I think like uh, and it's very high up my list. Obviously, I think wh- one definite like mark against it is that the I I don't find it particularly scary. I think that's something to do with the perspective. You're so far removed from it. You know, it's mm. not like resident evil with those fixed camera angles where you're really pulled into those kind of claustrophobic spaces like it's all like one step removed it's a little bit sort of adrenaline inducing as you're trying to basically run past stuff without firing because if if you try and fight everything you will be fucked in this game like it doesn't give you enough ammo but you do gain confidence to just run past things and maybe that shifts everything too much in your favor come like the end of the game where you've got all the you know it's the classic resident evil thing of like you open your inventory box and you've got like 20 magnum rounds loads of flame bullets and you're like well maybe i played this too safe um yeah 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 that's that's interesting but that's Um, but that's i i don't know like that 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 even like sort of accidentally mimics the classic flaws of of those games (laughs) Um, yeah. it's like part of its charm. Um, yeah, I, I didn't expect to like this as much as I did, but it, it, it um, yeah, I, I just, I thought it was excellent. I just love this, the little facility that you're in. I love that each area, you know, there are weird puzzles involving classical music. There are very sort of strange close-ups on like certain bits of the world, which kind of i don't know really bring it to life it's just very um very like evocative tangible space given how sort of abstract and lo-fi it is yeah did you play this on um game pass on, on yeah game pass <laughs> yeah um so yeah like um i i actually i think the other thing that sets it apart from or like you know at least kind of gives it a tonal difference from some of it, the games that inspired it it's like it feels like maybe anime played a bigger part in like the you know the tone and the the character design like it's a bit ghost in the shellish you know um yeah, a little bit of yeah. that going on like it, it, yeah it feels like it's got a bit going a bit different bit different in terms of influences but yeah it's like it's not it really does a good job of evoking the evoking those games without mimicking them and that is like a that is really impressive about it like even mm. the experience of like rifling through documents or examining an object in this is like it's nice to be doing that again um mm. and it like yeah it sort of it does that while layering on its own its own perspective um and its own sort of taste so yeah i i um i rate this it, it probably you know there's a very good chance it might have made my top 10 i'll keep playing it matthew and report back how i feel about mm. the um the I, see, I was expecting this to be in your two or one slot no i just in the end i just didn't quite get get through it um i blame vampires frankly yeah yeah so it didn't it didn't get in there but uh no, yeah i know a lot more different than i thought that's exciting that's that's what that's what you want from an episode like this yeah absolutely and there is like yeah just it really is a year without any blockbusters wasn't it just look at these lists like that's just so like <laughs> not where these normally land so um yeah I, I i am pleased that i was pushed out of my comfort zone a bit by this year because it yeah. has led me down some interesting paths you know and yeah, it feels like sure. it has for you too you know so yeah uh, yeah definitely 
like the idea of you putting a kind of retro style shooter in your list like two years ago like didn't even seem like something no i wouldn't have expected it you know so yeah um good stuff so my number two cult of the lamb um yeah so really love this devolver published game uh, I've forgotten the name of the Australian studio that made it, I'm afraid. Sorry about that. I should have written that down. That's poor. Poor form for me. Um, I wrote down fucking um, Kentucky Route Zero inspired next to Norco on my uh, notes, but not the name <laughs> of the developer here. Um, so this is like the second game on my list that is like a management sim as a shell for other stuff that your character does. Uh, Arcade Paradise being the other one. So here, you are building a cult and then basically going on these hack and slash missions to uh get resources and recruit more cult members and um basically like um fight back against these like uh, these these gods who are uh, these like you know old gods evil gods who um sort of like uh, you know have, have basically basically control everything you've been given a reprieve and then you kind of like you you fight back basically and the actual like the actual management stuff is is weirdly the most compelling thing about it because um you build like little um like little places for your um cultists to sleep and um places for them to gather resources um to rest even to go for a shit you build a little toilet for them at a certain point all that stuff and like it's what what it does is it kind of like becomes the version of animal crossing that i was always forcing animal crossing to be which is like twisted animal twisted sociopathic (laughs) animal crossing (laughs) and so like um because like of the cult mechanics you can basically sacrifice your own uh, followers to give give your uh, you know give people's belief in you like a boost that sort of thing um and it, the game kind of encourages you to do that because your your cultists can get old and when they're old they're very cute when they get old they wear these like little white kind of like nighties and they kind of like hobble around with a little walking stick and they can't do work anymore so they don't actually functionally have a use anymore so you are at first, the first time you sacrifice one, it's kind of heartbreaking. But then you get so ruthless at it. It's like, yep, yeah, you fucking, you've turned old. Let's go to the fucking church. Let's get you killed. And we'll just, you know, everyone else will get a boost and we'll we'll crack on. But then, like, the cult powers expand. You eventually get the power to revive your uh, your people. Um, you can, like, if, you're, if your villagers are hungry, if you're, uh, your cult is hungry, rather, you can, like, um, hold a feast to, to like, um, instantly boost everyone's, like, hunger meters, that sort of stuff. It gives you loads of different ways to, like, um, manage them in quite quite in quite a fun fashion and you can also you're also in charge of like item placement around um around your where your cults cultists stay that sort of thing and then when you go into the game it's a bit like um, i think binding of isaac is the kind of comparison it's had someone called it like i think like more gothy aesthetic because these is this like a juxtaposition between these cutesy animals and these very nasty situations they find themselves in um and while i don't think it's like amazing as a kind of like hack and slash kind of game it's pretty good and the management stuff is really good and together that added up to something that i just i didn't know i'd find appealing as i did but um i just think there's so much character in the way its world is brought to life i just i just really loved it um do you play this one again matthew i i haven't played it um i haven't read much about it or anything like i it it hasn't passed but i know i know it exists but whenever I see footage of it, I'm I, I can't really like pass it. So hearing you explain what it actually is and why it spoke to you, yeah, super interesting. And I like based on you know how much you like running the Discord, I, I know you've got like good <laughs> cult leader energy to you. So uh, uh, this makes sense. This tracks. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, you really do live and die by the kind of like um, 
by people's belief in you in this. It's like a meter that's always ticking down. And if you if you die, um, this was a game actually that made me think, why is everything fucking Dark Souls now? Because if you die, you don't just die and then you lose a life. You die and then you go back to your village and you've lost a bunch of resources that you'd picked up and you've um, and your villagers have lost belief in you because you 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 lost you know fighting on their behalf basically and i was like ah and yes i can't help but call them villagers because in my head this is animal crossing this game um (laughs) but then you can do things like brainwash them so their um their faith in you is fixed for like two days or something and then they've all got these they've all got these like fucked up looking eyes basically um (laughs) and like some of the some of the villagers will like um eventually turn on you as well they'll stop believing in you you can put them in stocks until they like you know they're reprogrammed into thinking that you're good um that's really cool um and then i got very attached to some of my little dudes who i sacrificed brought back to life then sacrificed over and over again oh i was God. like oh, i miss oh, yeah, i miss my little like you know my little horse pal so i'm just gonna bring him back from the dead um help me chop down some wood basically so yeah really really good this um yeah well i just yeah a standout for me it's quite tough to place this in the list it was sort of like it was so it was hovering around my top five in different places mm. over the last couple of days. But I think that this it it did amount to something very memorable and very enjoyable. Is it one um, you'll go back to? Do you think? Well, I don't need to. I finished it now. That's the thing. Like it's done. Like it's sort of once the gods are gone, it does. Um, it does get, it remix the the existing levels to be harder. It gives mm. you harder things to deal with, and that is the other thing. Actually, I haven't really talked about how the combat um kind of kind of gets mixed up. But like you do um you can actually like um have your villagers as uh, has like summons in the game basically so you can go into combat and then like they just take the the form of like an additional melee attack that fire that hits automatically or an additional projectile attack or you get healed that sort of thing but it means it's like unification between that layer of the game and um the 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 combat layer so that's that's cool um Mm. and the weapons have different uh, different capabilities like poison and stuff like that um so there is like the potential to keep playing if you want to but I feel like I'm. I feel like I did about twenty hours, and I feel about done with it. So, uh, yeah, nice. that's good. It was a very, very pleasurable twenty hours. Um, oh, so we come to your number one, Matthew. Yeah, I have no idea what yours is going to be. Really? Okay, interesting. Um, yeah, that I'm was genuinely struggling to pick. I mean, uh, yeah, that was the saying? only one that was easy to like place on my list. Everything else oh, was like okay. a fucking nightmare. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't. Do I know what yours is? I don't know. I don't know that I do. Unless you've become a big secret pentiment head. <laughs> oh right, is that your number one? No, no, no. Oh right, okay, no, no, okay, no, no. So um, <laughs> no, uh, my number one is unsurprising for uh, people who've listened all year. Uh, is Xenoblade Chronicles three? Of course, of fucking course, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. of course, it's the game I played for almost two hundred hours. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, I don't know if this is Stockholm syndrome. Uh, or if it's genuinely good, but it's the game I played the most this year. I fully lost myself in it. Um, you know, I am coming to it as a huge Xenoblade Chronicles fan. Um, I love this series. Like that, we keep getting these massive JRPGs from Monolith Soft is very exciting to me. And you know, with each new one, you think, you know, surely they're going to drop the ball at some point, turning around these huge games around relatively quickly. But this was not the one. Um, it's got very different flavour from the previous games. Um, it's got a bit more of a science fiction edge, which I really liked. Uh, sort of set in a world uh, of two uh, warring kind of nations who restock their army with kind of cloned teenagers. Well, not cloned teen, just teenagers grown in vats. 
um, who then last for about 10 years and then they die. So it, it's got this very sort of weird melancholic kind of air to it because you're playing as characters who are kind of doomed by their very sort of genetic nature. Um, uh, so very, yeah, different energy to your kind of chirpy JRPG party. Also quite interesting in that you have a squad of six characters established in the early hours of the game, like the first five hours or so, who are your squad for the whole game. And it's quite rare, I think, to have a JRPG where they take six characters through. Like, there are two are ostensibly the kind of main protagonists within the six, but you're always there, everyone's always talking. And I just came to really appreciate that group dynamic. Um, I think it's one of the reasons I really fell in love with this world, is just that you're really embedded in this little group of six friends and you kind of learn what they're about and you spend the whole game with them. On a mechanical side, what I really liked about uh, the combat system in this, which is still the traditional slightly MMOE combat of previous Xenoblades is that it has a really interesting class system where uh, all the characters can learn jobs by basically finding a seventh party member. They're these sort of other people who can join a seventh party member. If you earn their respect, you can start doing their class. And the classes are quite simple and small, but they're highly customizable. You can kind of take moves from any of the different classes and kind of mix them together and create these small builds. And I definitely spoke about this in our previous episode when we talked about the Xenoblade series, but I've class systems have I've always been a little cool on in JRPGs. I don't really dabble with them, I don't go deep because I mm. my brain can't hold the idea of like mega complicated builds and the idea of taking moves from here and mixing them with moves from there. But the fact that you can have so few building blocks with these classes, I actually found it super engaging. It's like a I'd almost describe them as like a, like micro classes that you're kind of constantly changing as you constantly unlock new classes from meeting characters. Um, you know, it's also a game that, you know, has a hundred hour story campaign to it, but fills it with just so, you know, huge melodramatic highs, but also a lot more worthwhile side content. Like the fact that these party members, extra party members you meet, you know, they're not just like ciphers there to give you a new class. They have their own stories. They have their own loyalty missions. So you're constantly cycling in like new faces. You learn a little about, you go on little adventures with them. You then get their class and you can move on. Um, it, it, it just, I, I felt like this of all the Xenoblades, this is the one that filled its time in the most sort of satisfying way. Um, you know, while also ticking the, the the basic boxes of what I want from a Xenoblade game, which is like the big mad story with loads of twists, the slight anime styling, the crazy fight choreography in the cutscenes, you know, a huge, uh, not quite open world, but like vast land masses that you can explore in great detail, maybe slightly weaker to compared to one and two on in that regard. Um, but probably one of the only areas where it didn't quite sort of hold up to the to the standards of the series but still very impressive um amazing soundtrack um yeah like i don't really have a, a kind of a, a very neat all-encompassing line on this it, it mm. was just you know a huge amount of time to spend in good company you know with fun systems kind of watched over by a J, jrpg creator who's like voice and world vision i just really really gel with um that's takahashi of course you made Xenogears, um xenosaga um and this uh yeah i just feel like working with nintendo 
he's given the time and budget to fully realize his ideas and he's just he's just one of the great jrpg thinkers and this delivers just a big hefty dose of him and i loved it that's interesting so yeah that's like lots to lots to take away there from your sort of summary yeah sorry a bit, just... sp- a bit sprawling and all over the place no no it's okay it's interesting the thing that like you said there that really spoke to me was the idea of engaging with the class system in a way that you hadn't done previously because i agree i always find that daunting in games and that's mm. why i don't play many tactical rpgs where i feel a bit overwhelmed by options you know um yeah. or even like final fantasy 12 where like you get a lot of freedom over what you do with your characters and i find that quite daunting um to be to have that put in my hands so it's really interesting that this is the game that cracked it for you you know yeah, yeah, and it's it's definitely something they focused on. You know, I, I I think the fact that you spend like a mission or two, you know, an hour or two with the characters before you like unlock their class to give to the rest of your characters, is you get like a little feel for them. You sort of understand like, oh, this is a medic who also has a bit of ranged combat, or this is like a ranged combat who can also place traps around them. And then you start thinking like, well, this character, you know, is really good at getting into the heart of matters. So what if I take the trap? that they place from that range class and put it in here and start dropping those in like you can you can just find lots of neat little synergies like it's a very good game for like you know i'm playing as this character because in combat you control one character at any given time it's not turn-based it's like real time uh and as you're playing a class you get a feel for like what its weaknesses are and you can start plugging those holes with moves from other classes. It's it's just a very yeah very accessible, very graspable take on combat systems. Uh, also, like side shout out to um, nobody saves the world, uh, oh, yeah. which has a, a similar class system, but for a single character, it's almost it's almost exactly the same class system on a slightly smaller scale and applied to a top down two D sort of Zelda feeling character. Um, mm. I, but that that was in contention for my list for a while because you know I was going to call this the year of the micro class game, uh, but uh, it's not the sexiest banner. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, also, I, that game was a little too repetitive for me, but it, it did have some of the same magic as this, which which I really appreciated. Mm. Again, thank you, Game Pass, for like uh, the fucking yeah. avalanche of games uh, contenders this year yeah. that made this list a lot easier than it otherwise would be. Um, yeah, uh, oh, it's good. I still like, still such a barrier to me. Like, I know that a no, lot of people have. D- it'll never jumped... happen. You don't think so? No, not for. <laughs> no. This is Catherine's favorite season series. Even she's like only made it like halfway through this game this year because yeah. there's so much other stuff going on. Like, yeah, I mean, I played it for review. I, you know. I, I think my review rate. I ended up getting paid less 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 than a pound an hour. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's amazing! I played it for so long. That's, that's good. A, You're a basically like, boast, a, but you know, yeah, that's basically like child labour pay from like the turn of the century, turn of the twentieth century, basically. <laughs> yeah, that's like, that isn't that isn't a knock on on the people I reviewed it for. That's just like I just went crazy playing this game. That's just um, inevitable with this kind of game as well. Like, yeah, well, I didn't want to rush yeah. it. I wanted to play it exactly as I would you know the next installment in my one of my favorite series mm, uh yeah. and so i did and i'm pleased i did um, it's re- it a good review i liked it it was very good thank you yeah enjoyed your vgc writing this year it's still like you know <laughs> that's that's like well, well worth paying for for them to like still get matthew castle writing on nintendo games in 2022 that's like you know it's a good investment i say 
Okay, that's really that's really cool. Yeah, just had to be. It's the ultimate Matthew Castle pick for the year, really. I can't believe yeah. I didn't see that coming. I did. I did think about that in the weeks previous, but when we were actually doing oh. the list, for some reason it didn't occur. I don't know why. But, no, uh, no, it's yeah. It it was always going to be in there, but it's it's um yeah the, <laughs> the close the closest to a you know the absolute all star pick for me this year. It is so funny though because your list is like our lists are both kind of like tell the same story of absolute fucking sprint to the finish play as much as i can make sure i've covered as many bases as possible because i feel like you have played a lot of your picks recently as well and so have i um yeah that's that's true um, yeah all those things that i picked up and then i like return to them and mm. um yeah yeah it's definitely definitely true though okay good well i'll come to my number one matthew which is drum roll tunic oh, um, of course yeah of so of course so this is the only game I think that like I would give a sort of nine this year to. Um, wouldn't give it a ten, give it a nine. So this game captured something so elusive, which is the unknowable oddness and magic of Link's Awakening in a modern game. And like I just, I didn't know how powerful an effect that could have on me until I was experiencing it. This game where you walk around as a little fox on this um landscape that you don't that is quite quite strange that you don't know a lot about and your only way of learning about it really is through the this instruction manual that you're piecing together in game as you go um that is not that not is not all written in english and it's visually styled after like um japanese uh nez or snes uh instruction manuals i believe um and there are there are larger implications to the game from that um manual which i won't go into in case people haven't played the game but there is kind of like a your journey through the game is like typical zelda fair in terms of like you're building up this arsenal of weapons and you're you're attacking enemies in this kind of like um you know sort of like isometric 3d uh style very familiar stuff there is like a dark cell style loop to it where if you, there are consequences to dying and having to repeat sections and stuff like that but i think it's like I just kind of loved every single minute of exploring this island and finding new areas to go to and progressing, beating bosses. None of the bosses really pissed me off. Like, the combat can get a little tricky at times, but I otherwise really liked it. Just thought it was quite cute, and then it became just... You know, then I realised it was more, more, it was a lot stranger than I thought it was. Um, mm. Its secrets are incredible. Um, if you have the patience to uncover its ultimate secret, you'll be rewarded enormously, I would say. Um... But even if you don't, it's still a it's still a fantastic journey, and uh, yeah, I suppose I don't have loads more to say about it other than that. It's just that I'm like just glad you found the shield. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, very good. Um, yeah, so it's um, yeah, it's just it's just fantastic, and like um, I think it's like one of those games. It would probably be an eight if it didn't have that manual element to it. Like I'd be mm. like, oh, this is a really it's really cool that someone did a nice Zelda riff, but because it does have that. Um, it, it kind of enhances the sense of history to the landscape you're exploring, you know, and the, what the what the, the implications are for your character as part of that. And yeah, I just yeah, like I think that the its ultimate secret is so good, Matthew. It's such a great idea, but like as a, a complete feeling, kind of like um, extension of the ideas of 2D Zelda that doesn't feel like plagiarism, that feels like feels like original and worthy in its own right. Mm. Just spot on for me. This was the game I loved the most this year. So this is actually an easy number one pick for me. I know a few people on our Discord don't like the combat and uh I don't care. I think this game is amazing. So um <laughs> and I think like a lot I think a lot of people love this as much as I did. Like it's it's actually like it, the manual stuff aside, it is hard to explain why 
there was something about Link's Awakening that just I, that lives with me to this day that mm. I didn't realize I wanted again until I had it in this game, you know? Um, mm. Maybe you get what I mean as someone who yeah, is so I well mean, versed. It, it almost it. sounds like how I feel about Signalis, you know? Right, right. Yeah. In terms of it's tapping into something where I was like, oh, actually, I, I like this thing from this game and people don't do this anymore. And so just to have like even a glimpse of it is such a treat it, it like awakens just a real enthusiasm in you um yeah yeah for sure mm, okay well that's my number one beautiful looking game as well beautiful looking and sounding game um okay so some quick fire horrible mentions then Matthew. yeah let's Should do, I just it. do uh signalis is one of mine of course um uh immortality like uh, i didn't like um i didn't sort of love it as much as a, a lot of critics did um but i did i really admired the execution of it like the how it was shot and that sort of thing. I just couldn't quite get a grip on what the mystery was and what I was looking for, even though I played it for like four hours. So um, I just can't get the image of Catherine looking at me as I clicked on a boob <laughs> and just, you know, a lot, of res- a, boob. a lot of respect was lost that day. <laughs> yeah, um, so there's that. Uh, what's, a, what's one of yours? Um, oh, well, I mentioned very briefly Nobody Saves the World. Uh, I mm-hmm. also had... Kirby and the Forgotten Land, um, they're very close. Um, I really liked Roman X, like Expeditions Rome. Oh yeah, I saw you going to bat for this in the Discord, yeah. Yeah, it's like a, I've seen some people describe it as like a CRPG, and but it has like XCOM-y combat. It's a very interesting mix of like, almost like Mass Effect-y kind of character-led RPG where you've got like a little squad of named friends but then there's also the fights are kind of XCOM-y and pull in uh, like other a- a- uh, sort of NPC characters who you then, you know, do your whole kind of hiding behind cover, using all unique skills to take down as many enemies as possible. And then it also has this like higher like military campaign level, which it, like is no way near like a total war but it's more about like managing the resources of like an entire garrison and sending them around a world map to fight it's quite mm. hard to describe why it works but fundamentally the character classes in the XCOM section are really fun and you can stretch out move turn uh, turns with just like a preposterous number of mechanics to like replenish action points and stuff which i always love that always speaks to me it's kind of like optimizing a character to basically commit impossible feats on the battlefield um and it's got this but it also has this like story element to it which means it isn't just like cold and military history it's got a bit of heart to it as well I, i i really rated it yeah okay cool that's uh is that still on pc game pass that one uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, it definitely was at some point, whether or not it still is. The name really puts me off. That's such a boring name, that. Oh, it's a terrible name. Right? Yeah. Let's call it anything really f- else. Yeah, it's part of a series. They did e- e- Expeditions Conquistadors, I think, and Expeditions Vikings. It's got big Encyclopedia Britannica energy, that kind of name. <laughs> um, just, yeah, not doing it for me. Um, yeah, okay, good Good to the games, good day. Uh, Windjammers 2 is my next one. Um, great January game, this. Came out right at the start of the year. Uh, went on Game Pass. Um, chuck a chuck a frisbee, a, a dude across the the way. Um, use power moves. Um, try and avoid their power moves and um, stop them from scoring. Um, really, really entertaining. Um, like a great a great seven, I thought. But um, mm. yeah, just a perfect Game Pass fodder. Um, and a similar fashion, actually. I might as well pair this with um, 
Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, Shredder's Revenge, as of explained. Course, yeah, yeah. Yeah, as explained previously, I'm not a big turtle head, um, but uh, <laughs> but there's um, this was like beautifully rendered. If I had more of that turtle nostalgia, I would have dug this, and I can totally see why it made a lot of um, people who are slightly older than me's uh, game of the year list, Matthew. Um, and uh, what's another one of yours? Uh, a little shout out for God of War Ragnarok. Um, oh yeah, that, that game. <laughs> yeah, like I know it felt like we wailed on it on it a bit in that episode. Like I fundamentally had a had a decent time with it. I don't know that I want to hear Odin and Thor talking about their feelings for hours on end. Uh, sometimes a piece of shit is better as a piece of shit that you don't understand, and that's okay. <laughs> sometimes it's grown up. The grown up thing is to is to take the simple, unsophisticated route. Um, but this is still like you know a tremendously polished bit of blockbuster entertainment. I I just uh, felt it outstayed its welcome and too much fucking yak riding. Uh, yeah, it's like I I I too like just have enormous respect for the scale of it. But um, man, the not having the ability to turn off people giving you hints that's like that's that's not a good memory I take from this year. You know, mm. um, that's like kind of uh, as a forced option. That was tough. That was tough. Um, mm. But yeah, like uh, still lots to like about it. Um, I also wonder if for me, I just like probably should have played all the God of Wars before I played yeah, that one. Maybe didn't but, help. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I haven't I haven't finished it either. That's why it wouldn't have made my list. But then I did try and only pick things that I loved from this year. Um, and I, yeah. I I would say I only liked God of War Ragnarok. Yeah, same same okay. same here. Bit, a yeah, little okay. bit of a disappointment in that regard, but still still really really solid. Yeah. Um, and my last one is uh, Dune Spice Wars, which is actually went in early access this year, like um, RTS based on Dune, um, but quite small scale, quite manageable. Um, it is on Game Pass if you want to give it a go. The reason I didn't put it in my list this year is because uh, I probably would like to put a couple more hours into it than I did, but the um, I I also I want to wait until it's uh, left early access, and then it might make my list next year. Mm. Um, but it is decent. So um, does it let yeah. you uh, stick your hand in the box? Uh, no it doesn't Um, but it does have like sandworms in it and you can fly those little things around what's good about it is like the aesthetic of it is clearly inspired by the film Um, and I kind of worried they were going to do a naff thing where it's like oh it's based on the book not the film so everything was going to look kind of garbage but I think that um, Funcom who's making the this Dune game and that survival game they're making they looked amazing at the game awards they um they're showing for that those games i think are both like based on the films and the books combined which i think right. is a good way of doing it so um because cool. that film was rad so yeah um any more from you matthew uh yeah my last honorable mention uh pentiment um i know we make fun of all the bavarian heads um this is a game which really won me over by the end i still think the first stretch of this uh, this game is is quite hard going and quite dry. It, this is a little bit clever, clever at the start. It's like bombarding you with you like with with like medieval history, and some people have gone nuts for it. Um, a lot of my peers, turns out, are like crazy into medieval history, which I didn't know about um, <laughs> until I read all their reviews where they went nuts for it. Um, <laughs> what I actually liked about it, is I, I feel it starts as a game which is a, which is uh, quite uh, quite cold feeling and full of history. And it it's a game about learning about a, a particular community and embedding yourself in in the community. And by the end, has become like an incredibly human story with characters who you really buy into, just because you've spent you know decades with them over the course of the story. And as I said in my VGC review, has uh, like flashes of Hotel Dusk in the way that you just come to know a very small unspectacular place in like crazy forensic detail and the weird uh 
kind of attachment that develops from that you know sometimes a smaller world in huge depth is better than a shallow look at a vast continent uh so yeah pentiment uh stick with it get through the boring history lesson and it becomes uh, a lot more human and approachable yeah still one for me to play actually that's another one that i will play um and uh yeah before the end of the year but um sadly didn't have time for before um before this episode so uh yeah good to hear it on your list regardless mm. matthew um a solid year for the old detective game eh not too bad yes yeah yeah okay cool well we're done matthew last podcast Ooh. of the year is over um three hour whopper of course but i think we did a good job i'm very excited by both our lists do you want to do a quick fire run through the list um yeah why not yeah okay so my number 10 was dorf romantic uh centennial case a shijima story number nine was the stanley parable ultra deluxe drainus number eight for me was arcade paradise and mine was proteus number seven for me was kirby in the forgotten land mine was marvel snap number six for me was elden ring same here <laughs> number five for me was norco and mine was the case of the golden idol number four for me was vampire survivors mine was norco Number three for me was Sifu. Mine was Vampire Survivors. Number two for me was Cult of the Lamb. Mine was Signalis. And my number one was Tunic. Mine was Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Lovely. That should make it easier for uh, old Graham who compiles the uh, <laughs> the different uh, <laughs> entries. Thanks, Graham. No, uh, no specific burn for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, doing, you're doing great work, pal. Thank you. Um, okay, so yes. Um, thank you to all our listeners for listening this year. The Patreon success really blew us away. Um, the support for the podcast we get and the amount of feedback is so appreciated. It's so easy to make something and for it to fucking vanish and no one to ever pay attention to it. So the fact that people are as engaged as they are is an, an enormous compliment. And Matthew, it's been a pleasure podcasting with you this year. So um, oh, thank likewise, you for your patience. John. Yeah, thank you for your patience and all my fucking what's uh, my messages on Discord. I know I send too many, but um... <laughs> no, it's good. I like the human contact. I go mad without it. <laughs> yeah, I think we've built something really good, so um, I'm excited about next year. It should be good. Um, but we both deserve a break, so uh, let's get yeah. out of here. Happy New Year, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.